That mic is yours. And you see that the podcast has already started before the introduction. Uh, you know, I get excited with every guest I have on here. Uh, a lot of I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you clean this thing? Oh, that was uh, Last Touch by Stephen Piercy, the, the singer from Rat. So can you go ahead and give me a brand new mic then? Because I know where he's been. Listen, you want brand new mics, go on Rogan's <laughs> podcast. Uh, this is a low-budget operation. Uh, I'm going to give this man the introduction he deserves. I don't have many people who are in any Hall of Fame. This might be... Well, Don Fry was on this podcast, one of my first celebrity guests. And I love Don Fry. Uh, I hope he's doing well in Arizona. Uh, this man is the second UFC Hall of Famer I've had on. Uh it's he's a referee now which makes perfect sense uh please and he's probably the toughest guy with the nickname of twinkle toes <laughs> give it up for mr frank trigg you know i hate that nickname i mean i felt weird even saying it to you but it is your nickname i've been trying to get rid of that thing for now it's been almost 20 years right hold on yeah 20 years i'm trying to get rid of that thing for more than 20 years I mean, I was first aware of that nickname through, uh, I believe his name is The Voice, Michael. Michael Chavello. He gave it to you, right? No, 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 no. I got it. Louis Ciparelli, uh, who was my manager at the time. His brother, Rico, was my trainer. Uh, they gave it to me because I paint my toenails. When I was in Japan, he asked a female fight fan, you know, who was your favorite fighter? After the fights were over, you know, and everyone's kind of, you know, signing autographs and taking pictures of all that stuff. And. And she was like, oh, I like the bald guy with tattoos. That narrowed it down to every American that was on the car. This was over in Japan. So it narrowed it down to every single American guy that was on the car. We're all bald. We all had tattoos. And she's like, oh, the one with the twinkly toes. And it stuck. And he's like, yeah, that's it. Twinkle toes. And he just ran with it. And then he just, that became the nickname. You know, he also came up with the natural for Couture. He also came up with, uh, what was Henderson's? Uh, Hendo. Hollywood. Hollywood. It's Hendo now. Back when it was Hollywood Henderson. That was, uh, Louie came up with that one too. Like he came up with everybody's nickname that was part of the Raw team. And so, but I hated it from the very beginning. Gary too, I was like, no, nah, I don't like it. And I tried to get rid of it and it just stuck. Thank God now, uh, you know, the Mike Beltran, the referee with the long, the long two uh, yeah. things. Super long beard. Yeah, yeah, uh, He gave me a new one, Trigalicious. So now that's the new nickname has been running around as, uh, in the refereeing community is Trigalicious. But. Uh, is the refing community uh, tight? Because I would imagine you're all up for the same gigs. Like, there's a big card this weekend. Uh, uh, yep, in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. McGregor and Cerrone. Who, that that one guy and yeah. the other guy. I think I've got to be <laughs> honest with you. I think there's too many cards. Like, I don't even see this. Uh, like, this is a pretty big fight, uh, yeah. and you, I haven't seen much on it. Well, well, let me let me correct you slightly. This is a pretty big fight because. Conor McGregor is on this fight. It makes it bigger because he's fighting Donald Cerrone. So with the UFC, all they really need is a main event and or a co-main event to be huge. That will sell out the entire arena. That will maximize pay-per-views. So the rest of the card can be, can be straight garbage, right? Honestly, it can be straight garbage. It doesn't matter. If they have a guy like Conor McGregor on the card, it's going to sell out. He sells out by himself. You put, you put one of the baddest guys on the planet and, and Donald Cerrone on the card as well, it's going to do very well. You put those two together, it's fireworks. It's going to sell. You know, and that's just how it works for those guys. Like, I'm a heavyweight guy. Oh, I, I agree with everything yeah. you just said. Uh, and even if I didn't, I would still agree with you because <laughs> you could kill me. Uh, <laughs> I'm fascinated by how, like, 
here I am, Mr. Tough Hockey Player, and you could literally submit me in under five seconds. Well, it's all relative. Um, oh, that's the so, truth. You know, Steve McKenna used to be Mario Lemieux Enforcer, is one of my really good friends. Uh, he's 6'7, 250. I used to beat the crap out of him on the mat. Put me on glass with knives striped the strap to the bottoms of my feet, put a club in my hand, let's chase a rock around on that glass and let's see what happens. You guys win every single time. It's all relative to the sport that you're in and where you practice your time in. Yeah, can I can I beat most normal guys in the street? We're walking down the street, some guy starts an argument with my wife. Can I defend her? Yes, absolutely. But you can too. You can do that as well. But you're not defending her against me. Right. Because I'm not going to be that guy that's going to try to start a fight with your fiance. I'm not going to do that. That's not my game. The game of the idiot that does that, that guy, we all can beat up. It doesn't matter because we're athletes. We've trained. A baseball player, a catcher, a guy that, that's fourth that's the fourth utility guy for the outfield that played for, you know, the Houston Astros uh, while they were cheating, winning a, winning a World Series, could still beat up that guy because he's an athlete. So that's the thing you have to get around is like, yeah, you, you versus me on this wood floor inside, inside your house, I'm winning. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but put me on some ice. Let's see what happens. You're beating the crap out of me. I can't even catch you. I wouldn't even know what to do with you. Like, I'd be like, let's just say in the wildest scenario that uh, we got mad at each other. I, I wouldn't even know. Like I, I would take one shot and go. I hope I knock him out. Yeah, that's that's your that's your best bet. That's my only be, bet. Be, be first, be last. Hit me first and run away last. That's the, that's what you have to do. But I'll assume I wouldn't be able to knock you out, and then I'm in trouble. Well, it depends. How much have I been drinking? Am I am I uh, not paying attention? If you catch me on the backside and hit me behind the ear, you'd be amazed at how easy it is to knock somebody out if you hit them right. And if I'm not paying attention, I'm not ready for it. Like we're not. The biggest problem when a fight starts is that people start talking about fighting before they fight. And we're talking about a street fight. Just a regular street fight. So you and I are in this argument and, and we're getting accelerated and things are starting to jump up and all of a sudden we're like, oh no, 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 no. Then we start pushing and shoving. And then all of a sudden we get down, right? It's like, well, that whole time I'm waiting for that thing to happen. If you and I are in an argument and you walk away and go to the bathroom and I'm like, okay, argument's over and I'm back to doing whatever and I'm taking a, taking a drink and you come in from behind me and punch me in the back of the head, you're probably going to knock me out. Because I'm not ready for it. I'm not looking for it. But you, if I'm looking at you and I'm ready for it, you're not catching me. Like, what we let's say we're going to, okay, I'm just so curious. Because the last fight I got in, I was choked out in a hockey game. Uh, I didn't realize the guy was a sheriff. And oh, he uh, did this amazing maneuver where he pushed me. We were face to face. And he pushed me really hard with his uh, left hand on my shoulder. And it turned me around instantly. Okay. And he put me in a chokehold, like a rear naked, I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. standing yeah. up. And I was, I. I <laughs> well, because, well, first of all, for a sheriff, he's not supposed to do that because that would be illegal to do on a perpetrator. But because he was in, he was in a hockey game, it was totally fine to do it against everybody. Right. Put him down. So, uh, and he was little, like he was probably, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six. I probably outweighed him. Uh, at least 75 pounds and I was, I was out like that yeah and when i woke up he had my glasses in his hand he's like here and i'm like dude those are uh really expensive prescription i'm sorry <laughs> i apologize <laughs> to him instantly smart um, man but getting back to the too many cards uh, or you know like i'm a heavyweight guy yeah uh, like i just there's something magical to me about watching heavyweights with and i realized that lightweights can knock each other out with one punch mm -hmm. uh but i grew up liking boxing in the 70s uh, yep. and 80s so like yeah uh, mike tyson we saw the we saw the end of muhammad ali we saw the beginning of leon spinks we saw the end of leon spinks with tyson yeah we saw some legit tremendous heavyweights during that time frame 
I mean, I have a, uh, I will show to you when you leave, a signed Buster Douglas glove. I'm a big Buster Douglas 1990 guy. in Tokyo. He had a nice, you know, no one ever talks about him, but like, he beat Tyson's ass that night. He beat, and if you look at the story behind, I'm sure you know the story. His mom. mom died. He was having a hard time training camp. Wasn't sure if he was going to be able to run. Like, this whole bit was going on with him. He showed up and was just like, that fight was not physical. He beat Tyson because he wanted to beat Tyson. It was mental fortitude. He showed up and said, I'm going to beat this guy. No matter what happens, I'm going to beat this guy. And, and he went in there and did it. And that was the end of it. And then that was basically the end of Tyson at that point. Once you realized, like everybody else, it's weird. Once you figure out how to beat the Yankees, everybody beats the Yankees. Well, I find with bullies, uh, and it, this could go to hockey fights. It mm -hmm. could go to MMA. I, I always want to say UFC, but there's more than the UFC. Yeah. Uh, you know, that when a bully is beaten once, yeah. they're never the same. You know, like Bob Probert, who was the king. Uh, he was the Tyson of the NHL from the late 80s to mid-90s. But one night in St. Louis, Todd Ewan knocked him out, and he was never the same. Well, look and, at Marty McSorley. Yeah, I mean, he, he was... After he tomahawked that guy in the head, he thought for sure he, get, he was getting away with whatever he wanted. He was the guy. He was the enforcer. So he could get away with whatever he wanted. And then he did something so egregious, we got to get you out of the league. Like, that's how bad this, this situation that you caused us. We tom I forget who he did. But he uh, Donald Brashear. Yeah, tom tomahawked him in the head. And how I met them, I was at Manhattan Beach at Sharky's... Or Harry O's. Harry O's. I was at Harry O's, and they both were sitting next to each other. And I literally walked in and was like, I don't really know what's going on. Like, I can't figure this out because you guys aren't in uniforms. But I know I know you guys from someplace. Oh, hey, I'm Marty McSorley. Hey, I'm, I'm like, oh, that's, hey, aren't you out of the league because of this guy? He's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. It's fucking, it just happened to be in town. They happened to be sitting next to each other. It's crazy. Well, I think the controversial thing with that outside of the stick in the head, and it goes to, I don't know if there's a code with MMA fighters, but like uh, in hockey, there's the code of if you beat a guy badly, you owe him a rematch. Yes. And that was the situation. And people kind of forget. And yeah. I'm not saying what McSorley right. did was right. But, uh, you know, Brashear had beat him pretty badly earlier in the game in a straight up fight. Yep. And he did the, uh, he had this thing where when he would beat someone really bad, he would uh, wipe his hands together like he was done with them. Right, yeah. And he went by the Bruins bench and did that, and that did not make the Bruins happy. So uh, McSorley wanted a rematch, and Brashear would not give it to him the rest right. of the game, and that's why. Uh, well, but go back to your point. Look what happened to the bully. He got right. beat, He and now all of a sudden he, he won't, now he won't engage with him. He doesn't know what to do. Okay, I don't know what to do. I got I to gotta accelerate this because I don't know what to do. So your point of, yeah, once the bully is beat, people kind of figure it out, and that's kind of what happened with McStorley. Once they figure it out, they just got to push his buttons, and then he's going to come back after you. And similar with Tyson, because uh, you could see when uh, – but no one had ever gotten up from a Tyson knockout. Mm -hmm. And you could see – and deservedly so. I mean, my God. Uh, but when Buster Douglas got up, barely. Some argue he didn't because there was a long count, yeah. supposedly. Yeah. Uh, you could tell Tyson was just no, like, no, no. Suppose that there was a long count. That's one hundred percent fact. But I don't. I've there watched it several times. Like it seemed to be a close count to Ooh. ten. But did the ref start the count late? Uh, it, it was only it was only one second or two seconds late. And so here's the deal: what you have to think about. Referees have one one hundredth of a second to make a decision, and once they make that decision, they have to live with it the rest of their lives. 
Well, we at home get to replay it, rewatch it, make a decision, talk amongst our peers, figure it out, and then spit back what we think actually happened. Well, that guy has to have great understanding of what's happening at that point. That referee might have easily grabbed the count and heard five. I'm not, I'm not saying because I don't have my memory exactly what happened. Oh, heard sure. five, and then waited a second, and then went five. Oh, six. I see what you're saying. See what I'm saying? Like, so sometimes it, he's a human. Like, he's a human. Like, he's not a computer. Things get messed up. It wasn't so egregious where you're like, okay, the fight needs to be overturned. Right. No contest. They went and reviewed it. Tyson tried to appeal it. Like none of that worked. So even the commissioners were like, no, it's stop. It's it's enough. It's not it's not that bad. But also to think about what happened. If Tyson knocked him out and they call that and they and they overturn it now at the end of the at the next day, you go, no, it's a no contest. Even though Tyson lost because of the long count, they have a rematch. Do we still have the Tyson Buster Douglas story? Will that happen the second time? We don't know. Right. We don't have that story anymore to talk about, wow, how good Buster Douglas did against all odds, against everything going on in his personal life to be able to win. It's a great story. That story gets changed. Same thing with, with uh, Fury and uh, Wilder. If, if Jack Reese, the referee, uh, decides to go, nope, you're not, you know, I, I'm stopping the fight because the way he undertakered when, uh, when Tyson right. Fury undertakered in the 12th round, he's like, I could have stopped the fight right there. He goes, but I got up. I did all the protocol. He got up. He got up at 10 or at nine, got up. I told him to walk to me. I took, checked his hands. He was totally fine. I looked in his eyes. I got to let this fight go on. Look at the great fight we had, right? Things can be changed very quickly by a great referee or by a bad referee. And there's human error involved on top of it. So yeah, with that Buster Douglas fight, anything could have happened. They could have done it either way. It could have went either side, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is, is that now we're talking in 2020 of a fight that happened 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we're still talking about it. I mean, I remember I, I was... It is funny how something 30 years ago, I can remember like it was two minutes ago, I was uh, living somewhere else, watching in complete darkness in my underwear. I'm not trying to be creepy. I was just, I was single, so. <laughs> Beer in one hand, pants down your hand. I've never had a drink in my life. You've uh, never had a drink? That's another story. Wow, we'll get that in a minute. Never a drug or a drink, even though people just assume I, because the way I talk slow and that I'm completely high and drop we dropped on your head as a kid well i do have a big head i mean we are you, are you on the spectrum are you the high end of the functioning spectrum like what's i your... would say i might be uh possibly on the spectrum because okay. of how i was raised which was by two very bizarre parents uh but th that's an that might be another podcast uh but i was <laughs> we're gonna have to dig into this well, yeah i'm very I'm interested i'm super interested frank i'm a strange guy I love it. <laughs> uh, but I was in my uh, underwear alone at the edge of my bed, uh, and I was crying because I, I was like, this is the Black Rocky. I this mean, is the guy that's going to beat Rocky Marciano's 32-0 record. This is the guy that's going to beat this. He's he's the guy, and we all got – I couldn't believe the next day, oh, no, like everyone was talking about conspiracies. Tyson threw it on purpose because he didn't want to break record Marciano's record. Uh, uh, Tyson threw it on purpose because he felt bad because Buster's mom is, uh, had passed away. Like It was like all these things, but it was all based on Tyson throwing the fight, not on Buster being that good that he was able to beat Tyson that night. And that's, I was like, years later, not that, not that time, I was young, you know. It, it, the years later, I was like, wow, that's kind of messed up. Like We disrespected Buster so much that we believed there was no way he could have beat Tyson, even though he has two hands, and, and two fists, just like every other boxer, and as a heavyweight, and had fought and had won enough fights to be the next guy in, in line to challenge for the title, we were like, there's no way he could beat Tyson. Tyson's just that superior. It was kind of like the way people thought about Chuck Liddell before Chuck got beat. And, right. and they thought about 
Ortiz before he started getting beat, how they thought about Couture before he started getting beat, before they thought about Hughes, before they think about all these people. The only MMA fighter they don't think about that way is GSP because he always retires. Right. He fights, wins a belt, retires. And then comes back, wins another belt, retires. And then it's, that's his MO now is that he's a guy you can't talk about like that because he never stays around long enough to get beat. He always just leaves right after he Which wins. kind of smart. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I thought the big, you know, these two fights about Tyson, and this isn't a boxing podcast, but they're rarely talked about is the two fights he had with Razor Ruddick. Yeah who Ruddick was really uh, the first guy I thought to stand in front of Tyson and go, I'm going to take your best shot, but I'm also going to give you a few of mine. And he did. And I thought that uh, that really fucked with Tyson's um, head of like, well, people aren't afraid of me anymore. Yeah. Um, so. Why do you think he bit Holyfield? Because he, he couldn't get Holyfield to get, he couldn't bully Holyfield around. He just couldn't do it. And in MMA parlance, since I'm a heavyweight guy, uh, you know, Overeem, uh, when people weren't really afraid of him anymore. I mean, I'm still, I'm sure they're still afraid of him now. He's, he's still dangerous. But, uh, you know, when he got a little skinnier. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got off, got off all the steroids. Well, I didn't want to say that because I don't want to get you in trouble. Well, it doesn't get me in trouble. I mean, it's just, he, remember, he got popped for humongous levels of testosterone. He got hit for 17 to 1. Right, so testosterone, epic testosterone, shouldn't be any more than four to one, five to one at max. He was seventeen to one. So, like, I'm probably I'm fifty one. I, I, I know you're not a doctor, but you, you would would you guess I'm like four or five to one, or maybe? Uh... So, one of the things you don't know is I do men's health uh, uh, talks for this company called Universal Men's Clinic, which is a hormone replacement place for men. It's specifically, go get testosterone, erectile dysfunction, like all these things that fall underneath men's men's specific health, this is what they handle. Um, they uh, educated me and showed me that I've seen guys that are 25, 26 years old, just coming back from Afghanistan, that have like 105, 106 testosterone, free testosterone number in their system. Right. The lowest you're supposed to be is 350. These guys are coming back, they're young. They should be like, Off you know, 1,900, 2,000, like no problem. And they're coming in super low. You can't look at anybody and go, oh, I know your testosterone is high, your testosterone is right. low. You, you can't tell. I've seen guys that I look, that I look at them like, you're a flat, blubbering, don't work out, don't do anything, piece of shit. And they're like, oh, yeah, my, my natural level of testosterone is 1,800. What the hell is going on? Like, my levels are right now, I got tested just a couple weeks ago. I'm at 257 um, because I came off of testosterone for like two, two months to see my level drop down to. Right. I'm at 257. I'm like, so... I'm like, wow, this is like incredible. But when I was higher uh, on testosterone, I was actually fatter, right? right? So it all depends on your body type. It all depends on who you are. It all depends on, on what you have going on. The assumption is, is that every athlete, as long as he's not overtrained and eats correctly and rehydrates correctly, is going to be in a position where they're, they're going to have a high level of testosterone. So looking at you at 51, I have no idea. What's your sleep pattern? Are you staying up all night, getting up early, not getting enough sleep? Are you working out? Are you doing full body mechanics? Are you eating right? Are you drinking right? Like, are you drinking to excess? Obviously, you're not that case. Are you doing too many drugs? Obviously, you're not that case. So it's like, you have to factor all these things, but the only way to know is to go out and get, get blood work done. The real, but the, the check is, the real check is? Does your pee pee work? Hey, babe, you uh, want to go upstairs and do the nasty or do you want to go to bed? <laughs> that still works at a reasonable proficiency. Okay, then we're good. Then you're, you're doing fine then. Uh, 
But like, I think people forget in Overeem's case, like at one point he was my size. Like mm-hmm. uh, when he fought Liddell, I yeah. think I want to say ninety three. I might be off on the year. Uh, I, but I, I think don't he, ask me, man. I'm horrible at years. Uh, well, I figured you were probably there. You're probably on the card. Uh, uh, I think he was in Pride. Uh, no, I wasn't maybe on 2000, that not ninety three. Uh, maybe two thousand three. Yeah, I know what you meant. Um, but and then all of a sudden he comes back a few years later. Uh, Horse and, meat. Uh, it's just like I've never seen a body transformation that uh you know he was 265 completely ripped like no fat so th- this is this is a a true deal uh his brother I forget his brother's name Valentine Valentine they both grew at the same time at the same rate which I don't care if you're twins and you're identical it's still not going to work that way it doesn't it doesn't physically doesn't work it doesn't work that way like that's the way Genetics don't allow that to happen for you to be exactly the same weight gain, exactly the same increase in speed, exactly the same increase in power over a period of time. It just, it doesn't happen like that. Even if you're doing the same workouts, just because even if you're twins and you are identical, there's still still factors in your DNA that are separate from the other individual. It's just how it is. Which is the reason why when you raise twins, they have two different personalities. Right. It's, it's how it works, right? So my first telltale was like, okay, I saw they're both getting that big, that fast, that strong. I'm like, okay, right, they're, but then there was no testing. It doesn't matter. They're fighting in pride. It doesn't matter. It's totally fine. Once everything became legal, and we've, all, and we've always talked about it before, the pride coming over to UFC, how come everybody failed? Because all of a sudden, it's the drug testing kind of changed things. But also, too, these guys you're getting from pride were way past their primes. These guys were also- Like a Crow Cop, you know- Crow Cop, Vanderlei, Fedor. Um, I'm trying to think who else were the big names that came over. They had Bob Sapp, but they didn't use them. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I apologize to the fans out there. I forget who else was coming over, but all those guys came over under contract. Um, and they, they, Mark Hunt, Mark Hunt, Mark Hunt. And you see how that they've done not as well as they did when they're in pride because you're also looking at prime. Crow Cop, you're looking at his prime. Like all of a sudden now he's not in his prime anymore. You're like, well, of course he's not going to do as well against guys that are hungry and better and, and faster and younger and stronger. Like this is how it works, you know? So it's like part of it was competition was better. Part of it too was okay. Now we have drug testing, and let's be honest, a lot of the stuff they're looking for in the drug testing now for MMA is over the counter stuff you can get in Brazil. It's over the counter in Canada. It's over the counter in Croatia. It's over the counter in Japan. It's just oh, drugs you just you can buy. It's like it's totally normal. So these guys are looking at now. You had to have an educational change, like okay, if I want to fight for the UFC and be and be famous and be great, and there's drug testing, I've got to do the drug testing straight and normal. But I also got to find out what I can't have anymore. At my that I normally would buy just over the counter, like go to go to the GNC in in, in uh, Sao Paulo and buy it off the shelf. Well, this is illegal now. I can't have this. So like, there's a long education that went along with everything as well. Well, I know at the uh, I get uh, I'm not plugging this place uh, because they're plug away. Well, you? they're friend. They're Canadian. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's right down the street. It's called Body Energy. It's just a vitamin store. Uh, uh, you know, I like to support them over say like a corporate giant like GNC. 100%, 100%. Uh, and uh, I was buying some pre-workout uh, powder to take, just caffeine. And the guy's like, you're not competing in anything, are you? I'm like, at the age of 51, I'm probably, uh, no. Cycling. You can still be competing in amateur cycling. Yeah, well, I and, guess that's and, and true. Be, and be getting drug tested. And I'm like, why, why do you ask that? He's like, well, this has uh, some weird, uh, I think, ephedra or, or something. Yeah, illegal, uh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, uh, well, I'll still take it, but uh, I'll take know. two. I, <laughs> can, I, can I have two, please? Well, I figure uh, if it's the worst thing I'm taking, uh, 
you know, I'm okay with a little ephedra in the system. The uh, best stack was aspirin, ephedra, and a cup of coffee. That was the best stack. Oh. Would you do that before a fight before, or before pre- training? Pre- before training. And then it became illegal. You're like, okay, no, I can't do it. Right, I got to back off. So I, man, I, come from, I come from wrestling. So my thing, I was getting drug tested from the time I was 16 until I retired from the sport. I was getting drug tested all the time. And, and because I would pass, I, I really believe this. Now, I could be, I could be full, of, full of shit, but I really believe because I fit the eye test of a guy that should be on steroids, but because I kept passing the tests, that they were like, let's just keep testing them because it proves that hard work and dedication kind of gives you, this is, this is my own internal monologue, hard work and dedication proves that you can actually have the body of a guy on steroids without having to do steroids. So I was like, oh, then just keep testing me to show that everything's real and everything's okay. But the reality of it is, is that it, I got, I was named, I just kept getting pulled. And once I got done, like somebody asked me, uh, geez, maybe a year ago, like, what would it cost? Another interviewer was like, what would it cost for you to come back and fight? I'm like, I have a number. I'm not worth that number for me to fight though. So, but I have, I know what the number is when you come back to fight, but I'm not worth that number to the promotion. I'm not worth that number to anybody involved. So why would they pay me that number? I was like, and on top of it also too, I can't, uh, I can't pass the drug test. <laughs> but, uh, because uh, like, um, you know, when Belfort and Henderson were on TRT. Yep, loophole. Uh, it's legal. I, I mean, how, what did you feel about that? Because like, as a fan, it was awesome for me to see like Henderson at, 46 yeah uh, like shredded and like like in belfort like just like Dude, like right. he was when he fought tank abbott it was like yeah. jesus christ this guy's like he's huge uh, i mean did you like did uh i mean did you consider that cheating for those guys or no because so i wasn't in trt back then i wasn't on right. trt I, I didn't understand it but i was like no it's not cheating because it's not illegal so like for people to go back after like jose canseco from baseball for them to go back after him made no sense to me he was already out of the sport and when he was doing it it was legal they weren't drug tests oh well i sh- injected this and i injected that guy and i shut and sold stuff to this guy and blah blah and whatever okay it's a great story but why are we going after a guy because the rules have changed it's the same thing and forgive me for getting all over the place the same thing with going after kevin hart for the oscars for for the homophobic homophobic right uh 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 jokes he did 10 years ago like who like Yes, did he make a mistake? Should he have apologized? Sure, apologize. But it was a different era. You can't come after me for something that 10 years ago was funny as hell that we all laughed at, but all of a sudden now is culturally insensitive. You can't be mad at me for something. It's like saying you drove 70 miles an hour on a road that is 55 10 years ago. Yeah, but the speed limit is 70 now, so I'm totally fine. I can drive 70 all, all day long. No, no, but back then you drove 55. You drove 70 miles an hour and it was only 55, so now I'm going to give you a speeding ticket. Well, how does that equate to anything? That's just stupid. So when Henderson and Vanderlei and Vitor and all those guys were on TRT back then, no, not cheating, completely legal. When they shut the loophole down, you saw in Henderson, we had a fight in um, Winnipeg. For some reason, Canada is the theme today. When he had a fight in Winnipeg, he had to come off because they had a loophole to Winnipeg Commission. TRT is not allowed. So he had to come off for eight weeks before he fought up there. And he's like, and then he fought, went to the training camp. He's like, Okay, I'm off TRT. I'm not going to be on it anymore. And then four months or five months later, the they all the commissioners like, yeah, we're all we're all closing the loophole on TRT. No one can do TRT anymore. But Henderson already come off it on his own because he had a fight in the jurisdiction right. that already made it illegal. So no, not illegal. Now it's illegal when guys get caught. I'm like, okay, but then also too, uh, was it uh, um, who was the female? She just got she just got caught again for oh. a tainted supplement. 
And she's like, I got to retire from the sport because now my ban is four years. Oh, right. Um, Let me look that up. We're going to end the Instagram live feed right now. For those of you, you're going to have to go to Apple Podcasts, listen to the rest. This is MMA legend Frank Trigg. Like, <laughs> it's pretty exciting to have him on here. So uh, support the episode, and we're going to look up who this uh, girl is. I, I would guess it was Fallon Fox, but isn't no, she no, transgendered? No. no, she's out. She's out. Out. Like She's out of the game. After uh, Ashley uh, uh, or uh, Ashley Evan Smith beat her, that was kind of the end of it for her. Um, it might be. I'm going to look it up, but what? Just... I know she's friends with uh, Angela Angela Overhill. I know that for sure. But anyway, so there, so she got hit because of a tainted supplement, and she proved the first time. Look, it was a tainted supplement that was approved by you guys in this commission. You guys, not this commission, but this this uh, USADA, WASADA, and I forget which one is which because I'm not part of the drug protocol. Is it Alex Nicholson? I'm not trying to interrupt. No. Oh, no. she got suspended four years. I'll figure it out. There, uh, it might be just straw weight, maybe. I'll find it. Anyway, so she she gets popped, and she's like, I got, I proved it was a tainted supplement from something that you guys have on the list of supplements I'm allowed to take. And this is this has a banned supplement in it. So you guys approved it. I followed the direction. I followed the protocol. I went through the list. I took something off your list. I used it. And now you're telling me I'm illegal. You got to do a little bit better about it. You have to do a little bit better about, about how these things are. She takes her suspension. Uh, uh, I mean, I want to say like a man, but she took her suspension like a woman and walked it off. She comes back in. She gets popped again for another supplement that's on their list that, that she's shown is on their list that she's allowed to take. And, and forgive me, I could be slightly wrong on this, but if I'm wrong, then then uh, yell, at, yell at Earl. Don't yell at me. You can sue um, me. That, uh, that uh, she now is getting a four-year ban. And I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, it makes no sense that this is, if you give me a list of supplements I'm allowed to take, you are then telling me that these supplements are, are okay for me to take. I take that supplement, and then I get, then I get, uh, uh, I get popped hot. And you test my you test my urine and you find out that I'm I'm doing something illegal. We I prove it's from this supplement. The levels in my system, everything that's in my system shows it's from this supplement. That's not from something else. You you guys get the empty cases from the same lot and test it and say yes, there is this this illegal substance in this supplement. I do it independently to, at my own cost to another lab. They independently determine yes, this illegal substance is inside this supplement. This is how you got it. It's from this lot number. It's from this. You know, because all these supplements, if you look at the bottom, they all have the lot number, where it was made, all that stuff. It's often the same thing. Yes, 100%. Then you suspend me for four years? Now, hold on a second. I t you told me I could take this. You told me that it was that you found out there wasn't this thing. And then you're telling me that I did something wrong? No, I didn't do anything. Oh, well, the fallback. Every athlete is responsible for every drug that goes, everything that goes into their system. Well, yes, but I'm taking it from you guys who are the experts of this. So fix it. There's a flaw in the system right now. So... When guys get popped, half of me is like, yeah, that, that's right. Let's clean the sport up. Let's make it better. We're punching guys in the face. We're elbowing guys in the face. Let's make it better. But part of me is like, catch the people that are doing it. Don't offset people that are following the rules and doing the protocol and doing everything upstanding as a, as a real athlete and then cut them out of it. That makes no sense to me. Well, because I think it just as a fan, I, I kind of forget sometimes that, you know, guys could die in the ring or octagon. I always call it a ring. You know, hockey players, uh, you know, fighting's... Uh, dramatically it's basically eliminated from the game now uh yeah but you know do you think it's better do you think hockey's better or worse because of it i mean it gets I, you know i feel bad because as a fan i i really loved watching hockey and from the 80s to i would say 2003 uh and but you know a lot of these guys in the last 
five or six years of you know probably six or seven of them killed themselves because uh, they yeah. had cte and head trauma yeah because uh, guys you know when i started watching hockey i would have been a big player you know i'm six one uh I don't know, 200, that was huge for hockey. Yeah. Now that's small. Like these guys are, you know, Steve McKenna, 6'7", yeah. 250. Yeah. And that's naked. Like put yeah. the gear on and, and skates. These and, guys are pushing 265, you know, close to 270. There's a guy in the Boston Bruins, uh, Zdeno Chara, mm -hmm. uh, 6'9", 270, like I guess naked, you would say. Yeah. It, it's so with skates and uh, pr probably 20 to 30 pounds of gear, he's you know near seven feet 300 pounds like yeah. and he got into a fight the other night and uh i it's hockey is boring to me now because it's just like a glorified scrimmage yeah uh, yeah and you know I, I feel somewhat the same way about mma uh and, and i feel guilty saying this because uh you know like when i had don fry on and, and mm -hmm. he's awesome and uh you know he had trouble getting up uh, from his, uh, yeah, he from was his sitting. Hips, in, yeah. He was sitting right here, and I, I you know, I kind of had to help him up. And I was like, "Fuck, man, that yeah. this guy's in this condition because a guy like me paid fifty dollars mm. to, you know, watch him do that." And uh, Gary Goodridge, and like, yeah. I, I, I feel guilty to be honest. <laughs> For once, I'm trying to be serious, but like, you know, like to, you know, McGregor Cerrone, I, I'm yeah. paying seventy dollars or whatever it is. Uh, you know and uh but i liked it you know mma in, in the wild days like when i had to go to best buy to, before it was on pay-per-view you, you had to go to best buy two months after the fucking card was over and buy the vhs tape. you're not a real fan real fans used to go to blockbuster what well <laughs> i went to hollywood video bitch no, i just call you that sorry about that. so we were, they were uh, uh we were talking about this uh, a couple days ago um where how did I get out, you know, without brain damage? Right. Everybody else in my era, everybody, everybody has brain damage. Um, I one I ducked a lot, you know, and most of my losses weren't weren't KO or TKO. Most of my losses were submission if I was going to lose, and it was always a, some kind of a choke. Uh, got on barred one time um, by Carlos Condit, but other than that, that was that was kind of my. It wasn't head trauma. I didn't take a lot of head trauma. Wrestlers don't take a lot of head trauma because we're inside the entire time. It's very hard to hit somebody. No matter who they are, but you do notice if you hit a wrestler like a like a really good like uh, 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 McGregor did against Chad Mendez. Mendez beat the crap on the first round. Kind of got back in the second round. Mendez fell apart because he had like a three week training camp, and then uh, got lit up and fell apart, and then got got TKO. Right. That's how it always happens. But also too in MMA, how many real clean, super tight knockouts do you see? I mean, you rarely like the Askren one. Uh, yeah. I, you know. Uh, not many. I guess maybe a few in the heavyweight division just because those guys are so fucking, pardon my language, yeah. strong. Like Nganu, like I can't imagine being hit by him. Like, but think about how many fights there are. We were talking about it before right. we started the podcast. How the sport now is almost oversaturated. We almost have too much content for MMA that at this point it's becoming so much. But even still, even on the smaller cards, even on the amateur cards, uh, California throws somewhere between, I, I want to say somewhere between 180 and 220 boxing and MMA events per year, professional. Right. On top of that, camo throws probably another 100 to 150 of amateur MMA on top of that. So there's a lot of MMA that goes through California. I don't know what the split is between on pro between MMA versus boxing, uh, but there's a, there is a, a boxing fight every Friday night. 
De La Hoya throws a golden, a golden glove or a, a golden, golden boy, golden, golden boy. boy. Thank you. Sorry, golden boy promotion, a boxing event every Friday night someplace in the state, and and it's four fights, and it's so it's eight guys, and it's guys just trying to bring up, and you go to these fights, and they all go to the distance. You never see a knockout. Like you, so knockouts now are becoming a lot more infrequent. One because the science is better around training. The science is better about how to recuperate. Like why is why is uh, uh, everyone working on their neck muscles? Because that's how you stop from getting neck out, knocked out. Why is everybody worried about hydration? Why is weight cutting such a big deal now? Because that adds into if you're dehydrated when you're in a fight and all of a sudden you get hit. You know, I had to say I dropped 20 pounds of, of water weight to make weight, but I only put 15 back on again. I'm five pounds deficit when I start the fight. Come the second round, I'm probably seven or eight pounds deficit going into the second round. You hit me with a nice clean shot. It's going to put me out because I don't have the the, the liquid barrier between my skull and my brain. And then my brain bounces off my skull and knocks me out. Now with how weight cutting is becoming a big issue, the science is better between diet and exercise specifically for athletes is better. We're going to start seeing a lot less knockouts. We're also going to see guys be able to go longer. And we're going to see guys when they do get knocked out are going to have a lot longer time off before they're able to come back in again because we know it's that time off. Anybody, everyone talks about, oh, he's got a glass chin. Happens in boxing all the time. That guy's got a glass chin now. He can't recuperate. He can't recuperate. He had one bad knockout and he needed it and he got a concussion from it. He needed to take six months to eight months off from full contact, from shaking his head, from moving around much. He needs to stop all that to get his brain healed. What athlete in their right mind is going to take that, that eight months or nine months off to get their brain mm -hmm. healed? We're not. We're not going to do it at all. We're going to go right back in the next week and get punched in the face. I did it at the same time. I got a, got a concussion, went back and I fought four fights in a row with a concussion. And you're like, and no wonder I got, no wonder, you know, I get starched uh, in one of those fights is because I'm, I'm not completely healed. We didn't know that back then. Now we know this guy needs time off. He needs to take time off. Coaches are smarter. Managers are smarter. Promoters are smarter. And now there's a list. There's a list. Oh, hey, Trigg got knocked out, you know, uh, in May. Do I actually want him to fight in July? Let's call him. Oh, hold on. He hasn't passed protocol yet. He's not, he's not able to fight yet again in California. He has to pass all these tests first. Let's see if he passed the test. You know, now it's a whole different thing. So it's gotten a lot better from that mindset. We're not going to see a lot of knockouts. We're not going to see a lot of a lot of brain damage anymore. It, not, I mean, when I say a lot, the the uh, I mean the 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 volume of what we saw in the past is going to be a lot less. Are we still going to see them? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. We're going to see guys get beat up. We're going to see guys get stopped. But a lot of them, if you really listen and look at how they are, they're really TKOs. Guys are getting beat up so much in MMA that we're like, nope, it's enough. We've stopped it. We're stopping it. Even in boxing, guys getting beat up, fights are getting stopped a lot quicker now, a lot quicker, because it is scary. You've seen this guy getting brain damage, and and we are two grown ass men, grown ass women throwing punches and kicks at each other. We're trying to do damage to a person. We we may not be, might may not be an evil person, but we're trying to win this fight. We're trying to pay for our, our train camp. We're trying to pay for our families. Right. We're trying to do these things, right? So with that, you got to like, okay, we this person's gonna hit this person as hard as possible. And very quickly, the fight ends. Very quickly, these fights go on, and you start to see, okay, I see this guy is getting too deep. Fight back. I'm looking to stop it. Fight back. Fight back. Okay, fight's done. I'm totally fine. I'm totally fine. Yeah, I know you're totally fine, but you're going to be totally fine next month, too, when you fight again. <laughs> Let's just stop the fight now and move on, you know? Like, and it, like I love that you were a fighter, now a ref, because it reminds me of Paul Stewart, who was a, a goon. Mm -hmm. Fighters don't like being called goons, uh, but... He was probably a goon. Even he would say, yeah, I was a goon. Uh, and that, and then he became a ref. And it's like, it's the perfect, you'd think, wow, that's the perfect uh, post-retirement job because you're going to know what rules to break or you're going to know what rules are being broken because you broke every one of them when you were playing. Like, is it similar for you refing? Like, you know what to look for because 
at one point you were the guy maybe uh so the- you might want to go out and get something to eat and come back and and you'll have time to listen to it later i love it this is a long story let me tell you this right now you are the perfect podcast guest and i don't say this to kiss your ass but like uh you don't give one word answers like i've had some guests so you know like and don was the same way he had tell us about your fight with gary goodrich i could have left and ran a marathon and come back he'd still be talking uh so this is heaven take as much time as you want so i was talking crap about how bad the the judge and the refing was and i was like my friends are gonna kill somebody well i'm gonna watch one of my friends die it was getting that dire john mccarthy overheard me talking about it he's like oh you think it's so easy come and take my course i'm like fool I just stopped fighting. I know all the rules. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to take your course, your stupid little command course. I'm going to blow right through this thing. I know everything there is to know about fighting. There is nothing, not one damn thing you can teach me in your course. Three-day course. One of the most intensive courses I've ever taken, besides my, me working on my captain's license right now for, for um, uh, charter, so I can be a charter captain. I learned so much in that course and failed miserably. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even close. I wasn't even on the radar of guys that passed. There's only, there was like 13 people in my court, in my class. I think one or two people passed the first time I took it. And everybody else failed. I was the bottom of the heap. I knew less than the guy that was just a fan. I literally had no idea what I was talking about. But I would think someone who uh, fought in pride back in, let's just say, the... Uh the renegade days yeah, uh, yeah. that you would have that you would have passed easily because you saw probably a hundred times more than say what you know an amateur fighter who never made it and who's now a ref like what did you miss everything i actually didn't know what the rules are and this, this is a problem that's very unique to mma most fighters coaches trainers don't know what the actual rules are of mma they don't actually know what the rule is and by commissions there's slight differences within each commission one hand down for a downed opponent, two hands down for a downed opponent. Which way is it? How is it? Whatever, blah, blah. It changes per commission. And that's fine. There's little minute rules. It's still five-minute rounds. It's still either three rounds or still five rounds. That's pretty much it. Eye gouging, fish hooking, all that stuff. But there's a lot of other little nuanced rules that people don't even know. A lot of the commentators don't know what the actual rules are. Like, they don't really know what they're talking about when these rules come through. I was like, I couldn't believe what I didn't know about the sport that I competed in for 15 years that I actually didn't know what the hell the rules were half the time and what to look for as a referee, what to look for as a judge, to be able to judge this fight on its actual merit of what the fight is happening, not being boxing heavy, not being submission heavy, not being wrestling heavy. Oh, the guy took him down three times, so he must have won the fight. No, you got to look at the entire fight from different positions. What is actually causing damage? What is actually happening in this fight? You have to know all these positions. I knew nothing. I had to go back in a year later and take the course again. And I barely passed the, the, the second time. It was so I didn't actually pass the second time. And John is the person who passes or fails. You know, yeah, John, John Elaine, his wife, those, they do everything. And Jaron, Jaron, his partner, they, they review, look at everything. They go all of it. I actually didn't pass the second time. How I passed the second time was to go in. I had to take six weeks of privates with John once a week for two hours at his gym in Valencia. I had to sit there and go through and do uh, privates with him, how to ref, how to judge. At the end of six weeks, I got to do, uh, I got to ref three fights on the University of MMA uh, amateur bout for camo. I refed three bouts. At the end of three bouts, he goes, okay, now you've refed three live bouts at the amateur level. Now you've gone through all the protocol. You are now ready to say that you have passed your course. And I got my, I got my check mark that I passed command course. Now I've got to go do a hundred bouts at the amateur level. 
100. 100 bouts of the amateur level. 100 bouts, not, not 100 promotions, because you might get three or four, sometimes five, depending if you do Antonio McKee's event down in Metro, you might get three or four. But if you do Jason Stewart's epic fighting down in, down in uh, uh, San Diego, he has like 22 fights on his card. You might get five or six. It just depends. But you have to do 100 bouts before you can apply for your pro card. That's the, that's the rule. That's the rule. If you've never ref before, you come to the state of California, you have to do 100 amateur level bouts. You can't start refing at the amateur level until you pass Herb Dean's or John McCarthy's course. That's it, period. That's just how California does it. That's the reason why California has the best refs and judges because everybody had to go through this protocol coming through. There's other fighters that are trying to be referees and judges right now. Chris Lieben has passed. He's been doing a, a very good job down in Camo right now. Doesn't quite have his hundreds, so he can't be a pro yet. But he's also still fighting bare-knuckle boxing, so it's a little weird to still be competing and then try to... I know I said the same thing to him. Why? Why are you still fighting? Stop. But he might he might need the money. He's got a kid. He might need a, you know, I, I mean, he went through a divorce, lost his gym not too long ago. So I'm sure he's trying to recoup some of that money back. And I'm sure that bare knuckle boxing is giving him that avenue to do it. So good, good for him. You know, every every man has his own way of making money. Uh uh Ray El, uh Ray Elby, uh uh Christina Santos's uh, cyborg's uh, boyfriend, uh he he passed the he took the course twice as well. He failed the first time, had to come back and take it a second time. And it is very difficult to get started in the game. So for MMA, it seems like it makes sense for an ex-fighter to come in and start being a ref or a judge. It really doesn't. Because honestly, most athletes, you, you think, give me, give me um, uh, 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 Tom Brady. Say Tom Brady retires right now and becomes a referee, right? Which he wouldn't because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I'll get to the reason why it doesn't make any sense. Not because he's not very good at it, but I'll, make, I'll get you the reason why in a moment. Tom Brady becomes a referee. He legitimately is going to have no idea what the hell he's looking at on defense. <laughs> he's going to have no idea. He's been a quarterback his entire life. All he's worrying about is passing interference. He and he barely knows what the hold looks like in front of him because he's too busy looking downfield. So how is he going to be a good referee? Referees have to see everything. We have to know everything. How is he going to be a good referee? It, it makes no sense. Brady cannot be a referee. Finances. He showed up at the field and made game day check what the hell was it? One hundred and fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars game day check? Might be more than that. Like so, why? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what the hell the number is. Like, I don't even know what he makes, but you know, say it's five hundred thousand. It probably is. Why is he going to show up to make two grand and do a whole fight and and get yelled at when he screws up and get booed when he makes a bad call and get ostracized on Instagram, on Twitter, on on for him, Tom? He's probably on MySpace still, still getting beat up on all these things. Why would you do it? It makes no sense. So if a lot of these fighters that come in my era, the guys in my era, they can make the jump. The guys you know that fought because we weren't making that much money, right? So right. for us to come in, for me to make, so my wife is a timekeeper for the state of California. Does both boxing, MMA. She makes on the big card, she makes four hundred and forty dollars. No one even recognizes for the whole card, not the whole card, per, not right. per fight, the whole card. MMA is different than boxing. Boxing, you know, Jack Reese. I think he got twenty five grand. I think maybe to I time keep. No, no, no. For to referee the Tyson oh, okay. Fury uh Wilder fight. Uh uh um uh, Kenny Bayless in in and these are the top two best boxing, in my opinion, the top two best boxing referees in the entire the entire world. Jack Reese is California based, Kenny Bayless is Nevada based, he does all the Mayweather's fights. I think he made twenty five grand for for Mayweather McGregor. He did that one fight that night, it's all he did. Um both those guys made two hundred million. He made twenty five grand. It doesn't know, like, seem fair. I mean, but look at it, but you have to understand. Fair or not, that's what it is. When I when I do uh, a Bellator or a UFC, because I don't, I'm not, I'm not in the hierarchy. Beltran, 
Herzog, uh, Grice, those guys get the get the main event, co-main event. Those guys get the title fights. Those guys are make two grand, I think, on the night for for all their fights. One one payment, all your fights because they got the title fight that's on pay per view. They're gonna get the most amount of money. I might make twelve hundred, right. and I got four or five fights that night plus plus checks plus everything else that goes on with it. Like the financially, it doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, you can make a pretty good living if you do two fights. You know, two fights a weekend. You only really work in six week. You know, six days a month. That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, that, that's great. How many fights are on pay per view for the UFC? Because that's that's where you get paid the most. Pay per view for the UFC with a title fight in a state you're working. I'm only licensed in two states, what, California what? and Hawaii. That's it. So, how much can you actually make? You break it down. You're like, wow, that guy. For him to work, you would have to work every single weekend. Every single weekend, a guy like Herb Dean has to make has to work every single weekend to eke out a living, to scratch out a living. There's no money in it. So financially, most of these fighters, Conor McGregor is never going to ref or judge. It makes right. no sense. You know, uh, uh, Chad Mendez, Uriah Faber, you know, guys I think would make good refs that, that understand, have great knowledge, that, right. that that are out of the sport right now, that that have their brain power behind them, aren't going to do it. I made I made five hundred thousand dollars. Uriah Faber, I made five hundred thousand dollars my last fight. Why am I going to come in and, and ref? This fight, ref four fights, right? For for you know five hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. Some sometimes we work a pro event in a major sold out, not on TV. We might make five hundred, five hundred fifty bucks, and we it's the same. We have to ref the same. Every fight's the same to us. It doesn't it doesn't change. That's not on pay per view, not. So there's no finances. So a lot of the referees and judges that are former pro fighters can't make the jump because this finance doesn't make any sense. Then how are you going to give up your weekends? For right. a full year to ref every amateur event that you possibly can in California. I mean, I drove, I can't even tell you how much I drove. I probably put 60,000 miles on my car in one year driving from Nevada to do, to ref, or because I was living in Nevada at the time, to ref in Nevada, to drive to Southern California. Like I would drive out Friday night to ref in Southern California. Like a king of the cage type of uh, Any amateur event, event Epic, uh, Metro Center, like whatever it was, Spar Star, like whatever popped up, would turn around right after, drive back to Nevada. Would go to Vegas, would then go to sleep, would wake up, go work out, get a little lunch, to report for another event in Nevada, work that the whole night, that's Saturday night, go to bed, wake up the next morning to drive back to Southern California, do another event on a Sunday in Southern California, to turn around to drive back to Nevada to go to sleep, to get up the next morning and grab the kids. Like that was my schedule. It was like, it was crazy for a full year. That's what I did. I drove everywhere to get these fights in. I want to get these fights in. I want to get them in. Who can do that? Who can stop their regular daily life? And, and mind you, at the amateur level, you make $100 for the entire night. That's all you make, 100 bucks. That's it. The entire night. Five fights, 10 fights, one fight, three fights. And a lot of times, the amateur events, you're there from like three or four in the afternoon until midnight. You're there all day. It's a full day job make to make $100. Oh, but you love it, but you love it. But financially, why would I give up my entire weekend to make just $100 and have this pressure put on me to put this, to put this, this, these, these, you know, these amateur fighters are trying to make the pro leagues. One loss for them is the difference between going to one of the big shows, UFC or Bellator, or having to go to one of the minor leagues because they got a loss or two losses. Like, it's a big deal for them, right? You screw up one time, you screw up one guy's fight, man, dude, you're, you've ruined his life. Like, you've ruined his income potential coming in the next couple of years. Like, this is a big problem for $100. Right. You know, it's really hard to, to make this jump. Then to jump into to, to judging, because refing is kind of fixed right now, but judging is the biggest issue. You know, it goes back to my start. There's a real issue with it. There's a real problem with it. My saying was always, don't let it go to the judges. Don't ever let it go to the judges because you never know what you're going to get. That's what Dana White is, uh, you know, when a fighter would get pissed off, like 
That's up. See, that's my that's my phone just listening in. If you Man. don't think they're listening in to you all the time, they're listening in all the time. I didn't say Siri at any time. I didn't say Alexa at any time. My phone picked up. <laughs> like, what the hell? Me and Frank just had a threesome <laughs> with uh, Alexi. Uh, be, because, uh, I mean, judging does seem to be all over the board. Like, uh, you know, and it's tough because, like, I favor striking just because I, you know, love uh, boxing. You know, I grew up with the heavyweight boxers and. You know, it wasn't just Ollie and and Frazier and Foreman. It was like guys like Ernie Shavers and Ken Norton, and uh, so like a guy like Askren, uh, you know, who's a wrestler. Uh, you know, I might be like, ah, he's kind of boring, and he's clearly not boring. And I'm I'm not yeah. saying wrestling's boring. Yeah, no, I got uh, you. But, that, but that's the problem. Are he you, are you saying he's boring because he's boring, or because somebody else told you he was boring and you just listened? Oh, no. I mean, uh, I love watching him fight because I appreciate someone who is so good at a particular area. Uh, you know, like Damian Maya is another yeah. guy yep. who is infamously, uh, he's boring because uh, he, he would just. He's so, boring, he's so boring. He made Tyron Woodley get yelled at because he had a boring fight against him. You're like, honestly, how can Tyron beat Damian Maya? The only way he can beat him is keep it on the feet. And punch him in the face. If he goes on the ground with Damien, no matter how good he is as a wrestler, he's getting submitted. So it's five round boring fight. Damien Maya is so controlling, so good at what he does, and so boring. He makes other people look boring. Well, it's like Khabib, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's certainly anything but boring. Uh, but you know, he kind of gets that reputation of it. Just he puts you in that bear grip, and like he he won't let go. And 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 I don't mind that because it's like, well, what's he supposed to do? Let you go so you can hit him? Yeah. You know, if you don't like how he uh, wrestles, then become a better wrestler. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't mind a boring uh, a quote unquote boring fighter. Uh, although I love watching a guy like say Derek Lewis that just yeah stands uh, in front and bangs uh, away. And like, do you follow him on Instagram? He's very funny. He's got the funniest shit out there. Oh my gosh! He's I mean, so funny. Uh, that's a guy who, uh, and I would, I guess, you know, in, in UFC world, there's not very many openings for announcing, but that's a color commentator. Like, someone should hire that guy as soon as he's done. Well, the the problem is, is that a lot of this now is trying to go mainstream on regular FCC regulated TV, Good, uh, and a guy like Derek, you can't trust to keep his mouth down. Just, he's going uh, to drop a shit ton of fuck bombs. He's going to be saying, God damn it, the whole time. He'll, I mean, he'll run through the whole George Carlin seven dirty words uh, like, without a problem. But that guy is like, he's kind of like Tony Romo in football, although, I mean, Tony Romo's yeah. a very clean cut. Like, yeah. I wear Skechers. <laughs> Poster uh, boy. Yeah. But he is, I've, he might be the greatest color commentator uh, in football anyway that I've ever, because I'm a huge football guy. Yeah. He the way he breaks it down and it's like all right they're gonna run a trap here because this situation dictates uh, it's like Rogan uh, Rogan made me want to watch because he's a high level practitioner himself yep so he knows what he's talking about and sometimes uh, well yeah uh, you know but it has a has a layman has a non yeah. uh, practitioner it's like okay he's gonna put him in an omoplata here because this oh okay and it, it makes it interesting for me. Uh, yeah, you know, someone with no MMA knowledge in terms of the technical aspects, uh, which is why I probably gravitate towards, you know, a fight like Bigfoot, Silva, and Mark Hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, see, uh, to go back to Rogan for a second. He knows what he's talking about. I was, I was making fun of him. Yeah, please. There, I can't uh, get uh, on Papa Joe's bad <laughs> side. Like, we might have no, to but, edit but that part. But remember, he's the he is the he is the the 
uh, uh, value the number, the the, the level that all, everybody else that commentates is trying to get to. Absolutely. Joe's level. Because, one, he's very quick-witted, right? So he's very smart. He, 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 he's very, that's his comedy. His comedy is very quick-witted. So you, you kind of get like how he sees stuff as a diff, at a different angle. But then he's also, like you said, a high practitioner of not only Taekwondo, but also 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. So he understands Jiu-Jitsu as well. He knows where the fight is going long before the fight gets there. I think the biggest problem he has sometimes now is the other color commentators because sometimes he's a three-man booth. These Which other I guys, don't like. I can't stand a three-man booth. It drives me crazy. But you know what am I? Well, your guy was in the UFC Hall of Fame. I'm not. Uh, yeah, but, but like, I don't just, like, uh, I just think two voices in any sport are, are enough. Yeah, you don't really need that third person in there. I mean, unless you got, you know, somebody that's super old and just like the lead commentator has just been like the guy, the voice of the, of the, of the voice for, of the, of the promotion for so long. You don't want to let him go, but you want to kind of lighten his load and lighten his voice up. And you bring a third guy in. But I think part of the problem is, is that these third guys in the booth are, are jumping the gun on where the yes. fight's going to go. But Joe actually knows where the fight's going to go, and he's not a guy that's going to throw anybody else underneath the bus. He's going to go, oh, no, well, I'm sorry, Earl. That's not the right place. Well, actually, where they're going is he won't do that to his broadcast partners. So they say the fight's going in a different direction, and he has to follow suit. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, okay. But it's like because they jumped up on him. And it's like if he just let him go on his own, he'll tell you where the fight is going all the way through till, yep, the ref's about to step in and stop it as the ref's stepping in to stop it. Like he knows that much about the sport. And it's nothing against like John Anik, uh, who's, who's fine. Uh, but or, like I'd or rather Dominic Cruz or Daniel Cormier or any or Paul Felder, who I think are all great. They're they're amazing when they're on their own with just two people in the booth. Right. But when you get to that third person, I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. And like now, and I can keep I'm like, okay, let's find out how many mistakes these guys make as they're talking because they're trying to outdo Joe. And you're not going to outdo Joe. <laughs> no, it's just not. not. Uh, you're not. Uh, I mean, well, maybe with the exception of Cormier and Cruz, like you're not. Uh, Joe could probably kick your ass. Uh, and you're not going to be as funny. Uh, so, yeah, but right. I wouldn't mind a booth of say Rogan and Cormier or Rogan and Cruz. And, and it's nothing against John Anik. Uh, yeah, but then you lose your play-by-play -play guy, which is a problem because now you're dealing with only colors, which is what the UFC, I, I believe. I don't know. I'm just speculating. What they're trying to do with their booth is make it more relatable and and put two two an ex fighter in there that that gives more more credibility to it, and then the guy that actually brings all the credibility and Joe. To drop out Anik, you all of a sudden you lose your play-by-play -play guy, and it's, it becomes really awkward because no one, cause you, you know, you know how it works. The play-by-play -play guy, I'm, I know you know, but I'm sure the fans at home don't know how it works. Is the play-by-play -play guy tells you what just happened? That was a great one too. That was a great three. Oh, look at that! Look at that exchange! Look at he tells you what just happened. The color guys tell you why it happened and why it gets there. Right. And there's nobody better than Joe. There's just there isn't anybody better than Joe at, at doing it. Paul Feller's kind of close. I like Paul a lot. I like I like Paul where he's going. I like how he's doing. I like how he's increasing. How he's becoming better at it. Um, he's to me in my in my personal opinion, he's the best of all the other ex fighters or current right. fighters that have jumped into it. He's actually better than even me. I would love to say that I'm I'm you know I'm right behind Joe, but it's not true. Felder's ahead of me. He's much better at it. But when they get together, I don't know about much better. I bro. get some confusion. Thank you. I appreciate that. I get what? a little confusion of what's going on inside that booth because I'm like, what's happening? Like Jesus, when when it's three of them, when it's two of them. When it's just a, an Anakin and one of the other guys, it's great. But when there's three of them, I get a little lost sometimes. Well, I don't even like doing a podcast with more than two people. Like, this is a great back and forth. Like, I, you know, I'm genuinely, I just want to set you up for a long answer. But if there's a third person here, like, you know, I would feel like, okay, I want to be quiet because I want them to talk. Or, you know, it's just an odd, I think. Unless your setup is that you always have two people on. Unless your right. podcast is set up where it's always the two of you, like, uh, 
um she what's that who's the guy gets the titty fuck of the week uh shit back Bert, titty fuck Bert of the Kreischer? week no bob menery bob menery is that his name it's possible i don't know them all okay so so he he has a three-man booth he's got some girl in there and one of his buddies and they bring in guests all the time and then when it's the three of them just the three of them they're talking it works pretty well because that's how the, the podcast was set up right. the three of them in there then they bring somebody else they have it dialed in we're like okay you get to ask a series of questions here's here's your series of questions that don't interfere with this you know so it's not like I'm, i steal one of yours and then you're kind of stuck later on and then but they do you do kind of notice that like one or two of them do bail out they kind of bail out in the interview like, oh, I'm not, you know, they just don't ask anything. They just don't talk the entire time that the guy's being interviewed. And you're like, what happened to that other voice? Like, where is that other voice now? We got but that's me. There. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not an alpha male in that regard. Like, I'm like, well, I want this person to get their lines in, so I'll just be quiet and, like, listen. And, like, uh, but that doesn't make for great TV when you have, or a where, where were you born and raised? You know, it's a very interesting, uh, Bel Air. Really? Bel Air, like really, Bel Air here, that Bel Air, like, like Prince of Bel Air, where yes, you know, okay. Uh, Your family's rich. Well, here's the or thing: they, or were they servants? Well, it, it's an it, you know, Bel Air in the '60s was um, it's kind of like Culver City, just okay, undeveloped, not a lot going on. It was just the hillside with a few homes, and then there was the Bel Air fire, and my dad had bought a home. And his, our home was uh, the only house to survive the Bel Air fire. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was literally like being in on a tech stock when it blows up. Yeah. Like, and then uh, in the 70s, uh, you know, OJ lived there, Kareem, uh, James Kahn. I mean, every celebrity lived in Bel Air. And then it was, we were like the Adams family. Like we weren't poor, but we were upper middle class. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. upper middle class in Bel Air is poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, our next door neighbor was Stallone. Um, I, I mean, it's a who's who of of seventies uh, and eighties celebrities. Uh, so it was, and like he bought a membership at the Bel Air Country Club, which today I believe is at least three hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Just to join. That's the, your down. That's the. That's your. That's your. Your, your upfront <laughs> money before you have to pay the monthly dues. Oh, the monthly dues are probably. I don't know. I'll guess, uh, you know, uh, fifteen hundred, and that's Jeez. not counting your food, food and shit. Yeah. So you know, you have to be a celebrity of so note. It's, so it's kind of like a yacht club. The yacht clubs yeah, are kind absolutely. of absolutely okay. But back when my dad bought the membership, it was like uh, twenty two hundred dollars to buy the membership. Yeah. And, and so I was. I, that's why I'm. Uh, so you were raised. You went went into and hung out at the Bel Air. Bel Air. Uh, kind of, I played golf there every day. I would see uh, now younger people who my fan base. You'd think being fifty one, my fan base would be older, but I uh, actually college kids for whatever reason love me. Uh, well, yeah, because they're not doing anything. But they're not going to get these <laughs> references. But like uh, Mac Davis, uh, who, oh wow, who was an incredibly famous uh, country singer. Yeah, and probably my favorite sports movie of all time, uh, North Dallas Forty. He was a member oh. there, so you had people like that, and uh, but but it was an interesting, uh, I, I would say probably a racist environment, just because there were no blacks allowed. Yeah, of uh, course. What, it, what, what you mean? You would say a racist environment? It was a racist environment. Yeah. Well, I so mind blowing to me that uh, 
you know, I think there was one black member uh, out of uh, at the time seven or eight hundred. He's probably the vice president of Coca Cola. He was a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> so like, I think we gotta let him in. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't let Michael Jordan join. Uh, Shut up. It, yeah, and as a kid, I didn't really. You know, you're young. Yeah, you don't know. I it was like, oh, that's racist. Uh, uh, but and then I think the next day someone said he was so pissed he joined like eleven other country clubs just to be like fuck you guys. Uh, uh, so I, I had a weird childhood. Uh, that's not weird. That well, it was that's weird. California living. That's kind of normal. But like Tori Spelling grew up and her family was rich. You know, hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. Yeah, the like, Spelling family. Aaron Spelling runs everything. Right. Well, I did. Mean, my dad was like the Rodney Dangerfield character in Caddyshack. Love it. Uh, Love it. <laughs> like he was a diabetic. Uh, so in his mind, we talk about weird uh, nutritional things. In his mind, he had to eat chocolate bars constantly to level his sugar out. So he would have chocolate bars in his golf bag. He'd have chocolate cars in the glove compartment, chocolate bars in his glove compartment. He would. They would obviously melt because some of them had been there a while. And he would just wipe his hands on his shirt. So he would show up to Bel Air Country Club where you have heads of, uh, you know, Howard Keck, the oil magnet. Yeah, heads of state almost. Yeah. And my dad would look like he wiped his ass with his, because uh, he had chocolate all over, uh, you know, one time. What did, your, what did your dad do for a living? Well, he, it, it, this is, see, this is why I knew this would be a good podcast. <laughs> You've turned the tables. I'm it's totally a, interested in what you got going on. This is screw refing and judging. Let's talk about this. It's inappropriate, Frank. Uh, <laughs> he was um, he was like MacGyver. Uh, he, he he was a very hard guy to uh, like. He was on the cover of Life magazine for killing a whale. Uh, How did he kill the whale? With a stick. With a, with a harpoon. Yeah, but I mean a whale. Okay, uh, like like a big like a big humpback, a big yeah. A big has a, I'll show you the picture okay. after. Uh, as a child, we had an basically an Olympic-sized pool in our yard. The whale's jawbones were the length of the pool. They were the seats. So when we would have pool parties or guests, they would sit. It was like the Flintstones. Wow. So it just goes to show you how big the whale was. Yeah, jeez. Um, I mean, the whale's jawbones were probably the length of this room, from that wall to wow. that. Wow. And, uh, and then his grandfather, his dad, was... Uh, in the depression era would drive by oil refineries and he noticed they would throw away their waste and he would go up to these oil refineries and goes can i buy your waste and they looked at him like he was crazy he's like you can have it and he developed this uh process to turn their waste into graphite so like oh, wow. probably this table right here with this yeah. graphite it's some long-winded family tree. My grandfather was responsible for the, the scrap on the table. Um, so he uh, took over that company, and he was a scratch golfer. He self-taught scratch golfer, but he had the worst swing you've ever seen in your life. It Worse was, than Barclays? It looked like OJ. If you've ever seen OJ swing a golf club, it looked. but he was like he created this swing that uh, – he was scratch golf. He was a very interesting guy. Is the whole point of that long-winded answer? He, what did he do? He did a little bit of everything. Yeah, hence the Mac MacGyver reference. Yeah, he was just okay. good at everything. He was a, a brilliant businessman, and until one day he invested most of his money in an oil project in the Amazon that uh, went, if, went tits up. Uh, yeah, to, uh, you know, uh, yeah. But if it would have hit. Uh, we we wouldn't I, be talking right now. We no, we would. It'd just be in a nicer place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and then, you know, my mom was a hillbilly from Cartersville, Georgia. So it was a, it's a strange upbringing. That's not strange. Well, she was, uh, your very, dad's kind of a hillbilly too. Then when you talk about, you know, his grandpa, his father thinking about taking old refinery waste and turning it into graphite. Like that's, that's like a hillbilly men mentality. It's like, I got to figure out what to do with this free shit. How am I going to make yeah. it so I can make a profit off it? That's a, that's a real, that's capitalism. That's a real thought process. But it's also you know? strange uh, upping because my dad's sister's Ethel Kennedy, who married Bobby Kennedy, the second Kennedy brother. Yeah. So then you had the Kennedy uh, so lineage. You were, in, you were married into the Kennedy family? Yeah, by marriage. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, but even that was a strange, like, uh, you know, like I have two brothers, two sisters. Uh, we're very close, but we never talk. And most people would be like, well, then you're not very close. No, it, no, uh, it makes sense. But, you know, well, in my particular case, you know, my hours are so strange. You know, I was at the comedy store last night till, I don't know, two in the morning, get home. I'm high from the show because it went well. So I, I don't. Uh -huh, high from the show. Sure. Okay. No, I've never done anything. Well, <laughs> know, it's probably with what I walked around and smelled, I yeah. probably did get a buzz. This is California uh, now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's all legal. You, you, but You can not smoke and you're still going to get high at some point. So, you know, I woke up at 11. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about you coming over just because uh, the way I do my podcast is I don't plan a question. I oh, okay. I had no idea what I was going to ask you when I hit record. I like the uh, nervous energy. Got you. Okay. And here we are an hour in, and I could go on for another hour. Oh, uh, easy. Yeah, I got no problem. I got nothing to do today. Uh, I'm but done. I'm done. So my I'm nervous about you coming over and like, okay, is this going to be? Because, you know, I've had one interview that maybe didn't go the best uh I won't mention their name, but uh, they were famous in the 80s. And, uh, and I imagine you probably... Get Roger Rabbit? I wish. <laughs> uh, uh, Jessica Rabbit. Well, I would have her. Uh, but like... Oh, yeah, I'm sure we both have her. I'm telling you, I mean, on the podcast. <laughs> this uh, particular guest was famous for one or two things, and that was pretty much it. Uh, so she, uh, I just said she, so I'm kind of giving it away. But uh, she didn't want to talk about them anymore, which I kind of get. Yeah, uh, you know any interview I do, uh, and I'm not putting myself on your or hers level. That they always want to ask me about roast battle. Yeah, uh, yeah. which is what got me a lot of things. But it's like there's only so many ways that I can talk about it without repeating myself. As I'm sure you get sick to a degree of. Hey, tell us about that Matthews fight the, or yeah, fights. So, so anybody wants to talk about, you know, is that and that's the thing you're like, dude, like really do I have to? They have to cover this. Like people are people are weird. Like this big fight this weekend going on with McGregor and and. Uh, and uh, 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 Cerrone, they're like, we're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch it. I'm watching at my house. Oh, you're not gonna go anywhere. You're not, you know, are you having a party at your house? Like, no, no. It's just gonna be my wife and I are gonna be sitting on the couch, <laughs> watching the fight. Like, why? Why don't you go someplace? Why don't you go out and be a party? You're not hosting a party. You're not. I'm like, no, nope, not. Uh, why not? Like, why don't you like going out? Because everybody wants to talk to me during the fights. Yeah, because I'm gonna like, watch the fights. <laughs> like, if you came over to my house to watch it i'd be i'd be fuck i want to ask him about that hold but you know it's like oh he's here just as a friend and wants to watch tv i just want to be left alone like and i'm and i'm also the guy to like hey uh, uh what time are you gonna, what time is the party at your place right oh well you know preview comes on at seven so i thought i'd have everybody come over around five o'clock okay i'm not gonna make it well why not first fight's at 3 30 i'll be in front of my tv watching the first fight i'm not leaving my tv till the last fight is over i'm not missing if you have all the fights on starting with the very first one on on fight pass then i'll show up Otherwise, don't bother me. I got to see every single fight. I'm the, when I would get tickets, I'm, I'm one of the first eight people inside the arena. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, let's go. Let's get this first fight going. Like, I want to see it. 
We want to see them all, every single fight, like every single fight. Still, still to this day. Like, we'll we'll go on the 25th. I have Bellator at the forum. I'm I'm one of the rest. So that's the cyborg fight. Uh, it is okay. cyborg and, and Bud. Uh, I'm I'm have to be there. My report time is at three o'clock. First fights at four thirty. If I'm not working the fight, I'll be watching every single fight. In the fights I'm working, obviously I'm watching, but you have to watch it as a, as a referee, not as a fan. I will watch every single fight and not complain about being there all day, be there all night. I don't care, prelims, postlims. I love all the fights. When I'm watching them at home, I watch every single fight. I, start, I plan my day around first fights going off at 3.30. Like right. I'm supposed to sail on Saturday. I'm like, if you can't have me back, because my yacht club is right on the corner from my, from my house. I go, if you can't have me back to the dock, guarantee me back to the dock, by 315 that i can just offload and run in my car and get home by 330 i can't do it dude we got to do it. we're working on spinnakers like it's a whole training thing we gotta do it. Like, hey man like fights are on like that's that's just how it works in my house you know i can't stand going places because everybody wants to talk to you about fights and which is why i don't plan questions because like with smart. this uh particular guest like uh you, you know it was an 80s uh she wasn't a musician, but the video, I'm really giving, I might as well just say her name at this point. But uh, she's like, hey, I, you know, that's 30 years ago, man. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But it's like, well, well, with you, there's a lot more to talk about. But like. That's your reference point. Like, that's how everybody knows who you are. I got, I got to talk about to get people up to speed with who we're talking to. Like, but like with you, we could talk about your, we haven't even touched on your fights. Uh, but yeah. we can talk about your fights, your reffing, your acting. Uh, but with this, you know, so that that's why I don't like to, you know, like, sure, I'd love to ask you about the Hughes fights, but I also try and uh, ask you questions that you haven't been asked before. Yeah. Just so you don't get, I don't want you to get bored. Like, oh, God, all right, I'll talk about kissing him. And, you know, uh, you know, you've told that story probably a thousand yeah. fucking times. Uh, like, I'm going to ask you a question right now because I don't believe I've ever heard this talked about. I'm going to give you a uh, a scenario. Okay. Uh, it involves refing, like because I don't think fans. One thing I do like about MMA is it's it's kind of closed. You don't know a lot about what happens behind the curtain. So uh, let's say there's a fight. Uh, let's say Ngannou against Derek Lewis. You're yeah. the ref in it. Why would I be a ref? That fight was so boring. But but I be all right. Well, let's go old school. <laughs> Let's go old school because I'm a like you don't understand. Like, I watched the first UFC, you know, I'm a cabbage fan. Oh, wow, you, you he's know. fighting again. Cabbage is fighting. Again. I don't want to see that. I really, he's back, he's fighting in Hawaii. I don't like, I cried. I don't see it either. Well, I like it. it like, do I want to? I'll probably buy the pay per view or whatever for me. You know, I cried when Bigfoot Silva was on top of Fedor. Just like, yeah. I, I really, you're a very I, sensitive man, you cry a lot. Well, I... Uh, you're crying when, when Tyson got beat by Douglas. You're crying when... Well, I only cried during uh, Tyson-Douglas because I had 100 bucks on Tyson, but... Uh, and, and, you, and you had $50 in your bank account. <laughs> right. I, I am sensitive because you develop a... Uh, I cried when uh, probably the first athlete I ever followed was a horse called Seattle Slough. Uh, very fit. He was the uh, first Triple Crown winner, like, Oh, I said I recognize the name. Yeah, he's a very uh, one of the more famous horses of the last fifty years, I guess. Uh, but he lost, and uh, after he won the triple crown, he I think it was at Santa Anita, and he lost pretty badly. Did, and, did he die at Santa Anita? Uh, no, Jesus Christ! Right, Let's they're talking about CTE with fighters and right. hockey players. Like what's like. <laughs> 
I don't even know what's going on at Santa. Dude, Anita. it's. I mean, I have friends of mine. Sorry to get off topic. No, friends. I love it. I have friends of mine that are horse breeders, and they're like, none of our horses are allowed to go to Santa. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why. Like, it's the only. It's like it has such a huge horses die. I can't believe it's not a bigger story. Like, it's incredible. Uh, like what happens down there, and and the trainers and the jockeys don't understand it. They don't understand what's happening. Nobody can get a grasp on why is it happening here and not say, why is it happening in Kentucky someplace? Or why is it happening in, in you know, one of the other, why is it always here? What's the problem that's going on here? I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. No one knows. They're uh, still trying to figure it out. They have no clue. I, I saw one guy did a report on the uh, the dirt, the, uh, the track, the actual track. He's like, well, when it rains, uh, the... Uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, the shoes. They're the the, uh, the silica uh, on in the dirt washes away, so the uh, the surface is much much harder than anywhere else. And, and I'm like that's not going to kill forty fucking horses. No, it's like I don't. And a horse and a horse can. You'd be amazed at what a horse can do, especially coming in stunts. And I'm not a horse guy by any means. So if you're right. calling me for a stunt, you're not going to be like, hey, can you ride a horse? No, I cannot ride a horse. I can ride a horse casually. But I can't do stunts off a horse. You want right. that, you got to call the cowboys. I'm not one of the cowboys. It's not what I'm not. But these guys make these horses do front rolls. They can fly sideways. They can do all sorts of stuff. You'd be amazed at what a horse can do at full speed. And it's incredible what these animals can do at full speed. Why are they dying at Santa? Because they're falling over at full speed. Why is, that, why is that making them die? Why is that? And one of the horses, I, and forgive me, I forget, I forget which one it was or when it was, but he finished the race was walking and then just collapsed so like, it's not the it's not the feet it's not the track there's something else going on over there i mean i, I you know i don't want to be like i'm not like eddie bravo and into conspiracy theories and but, i am well no i i i, <laughs> I love that stuff <laughs> i'm not saying i'm right or wrong like uh but it's almost at that point where it's like they're either shooting them up with stuff and and their bodies are breaking down or, yep. or uh you know, there's some rogue, uh, you know, because there is a tremendous amount of money uh, involved in horse racing. Hundreds I, of millions of dollars per day. Uh, you know, I mean, my dad was a pretty prolific, it goes back to the MacGyver thing. He was a very prolific horse gambler. Like he, oh, wow. Uh, okay. And my mom, uh, her family owned the largest uh, thoroughbred uh, training facility in the South. Uh, which is why I fell in love with horses so much. Yeah. Uh, there was a white horse. I'm going to send you the link to this. His name a was White Horse? Jet White Horse. And it was really the two athletes I followed first, at, more than OJ, Kareem, Gretzky, were Seattle Slough, and there was a white horse named Vigers. And its thing was he would start out dead last. And I mean by a he was like the white guy in the 100 yard dash in the olympics you're like well he beats somebody but he's pretty far back yeah uh, and he would just sprint and all he not always win but he usually would win uh it was just amazing it was like watching this beautiful body of like just pure muscle of thousands of pounds and uh you know i cried when he he started losing i get I get, you get sad. You get, you get emotionally invested in this stuff. You I gotta, do. Does, does that does that emotion help your comedy or hurt your comedy? Well, it depends what I'm talking about. Okay, the reason why I'm asking, I've always wanted to be in a, in like a sitcom. Like I've always wanted right. to be like one of the co-starring roles in a sitcom. Sure. And I did stand up for a little bit. I worked with Adam Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Good uh, guy. Bombed miserably. Like miserably bombed. Like not one, not even a giggle, not a thing, not one. In a 10-minute set, nothing. Not one fucking thing. 
And then I was like, okay, well, I bombed. So what doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Just move on to the, to the next one. And I was like, I'm just not good at this timing thing. And Adam made a comment to me was like, oh, you, you didn't, you didn't dig into your emotion. You just kind of told a story. You didn't really dig into your emotion to get into the, to get into the story, which is going to make people laugh. If you would have gotten your emotion, but I've heard other comics tell me we're like, no, no, no. I keep an emotion completely out of it. I just write bits and do these things. And you see Dave Chappelle talks about, I write the one, right. I write the, I write the ending and then write the joke after I've got the punchline. I'm like, that's that's genius to me because I can't do it. <laughs> well, there's different kinds of comedy. Like uh, like someone like you, I would gear into like my advice to you. Like, and I know you don't want to be like a, a full time stand up, but like, like Duffin would do it if I if I knew I could get a laugh. <laughs> I, I would do what uh, Jake the Snake the wrestler. Uh, I would recommend you do what he does because uh, I opened for him, and you know I've seen thousands of shows, uh, thousands probably thousands of comics. And his show he did that I opened for him it was one of the more amazing shows I've ever seen. He wasn't necessarily doing jokes. He was just telling stories from his days on the road. With Now, this is pro wrestling in the 80s. So yeah, so they're nuts. I mean, but, he's got stories for days. But I'm sure you do. I mean, you were in pride. Like, I can only imagine... There's really... That's the thing, though, man. There's really not that many stories. Like, it's a very... it's, it's There's a few. Yeah, but they're like... And I know you don't want to like you know obviously you're married and like like oh no I'm she not, knows I know Jill knows all my stories but I mean I'm not even saying sexual stories but like Jake the Snake would tell these uh, just twenty minute stories about doing the road with uh, Rick Rude who was like one of my favorites yeah. uh, and uh, how his wife was divorcing him and, and the, the the new husband drives by them on the freeway and Jake the Snake was like. Hey Rick, I think that's your car. And he looks and goes, "Speed up to him." And it was the old, the new boyfriend driving Rick. And it was just like so. I like it. It was the way he told the story that was so funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would like I would have said, "Forget the jokes, dude. Tell a story about maybe training, maybe a particular fight. Someone grabs you in the balls or or whatever." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cause you know that you have something that 99.9% of comics don't have. And that's an experience at something that none of us did. Oh yeah. 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 Gotcha. So, gotcha. Uh, so I think the crowd would like dig that, uh, you know, I don't know, man, it's com comedy is tough. It is super fucking tough. I think it's the toughest business in the world uh, outside of maybe being a, uh, a, a fighter. Uh, cause you know, if you're in a band, and I always say this. You're in a shitty band. You can turn around and blame the drummer. This guy sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bass player can't keep up with this. the guitar player. Like, if you're a shitty comic, you, you. can't look and blame yeah. the curtain. Uh, but that's what wrestling is. That's what MMA is, too. Yeah. That's what boxing is. Like, hey, my team was there for me. All the writers helped me get this thing put together. I did it, bounced it off a couple of the people, got some good ideas, came out there and pitched it, and it sucked. It's my fault. Well, it's you could, if you were, uh, this maybe not the greatest example but let's say uh uh well uh let, let's take the askren uh masvidal yeah. fight uh you know you might say that askren uh didn't have the best uh strategy to start that fight off just to basically charge him and put his head down he could if if now i don't think he did but he could say well my coach told me to do that well my jujitsu trainer told me to do well masvidal's gonna come at you with a flying knee so just fuck it, charge him, and he could blame someone else. Right, yeah. Uh, like, if I bomb tonight at the comedy store, you know, I can't blame 
anyone. Anybody. If this way- podcast sucks. You can blame me. Well, it, <laughs> it, it, it's probably because of me. But, you know, there are some guests who it wasn't the greatest interview because, like, you know, they give one word answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I've had uh, musicians on. Um, but also, too, isn't it isn't it crowd? Don't you have to know your crowd in comedy? Like, if you're if you're doing young kid jokes, but it's an older crowd, it's not going to work. Or oh, it's absolutely. Funny always? Okay, yeah. Well, I like if you do, uh, like, say a, a Jeffrey Epstein joke, which a lot of comics are doing, just because yeah. it's like it's hot right now. Yeah, it's hot. It, it's it's not obviously funny what was going on, uh, but. Uh, you know, uh, there, there could, yeah, you have to know the crowd. Like there could be someone in there uh, who's a victim of unfortunate abuse of, of some capacity. They're not going to like the joke. Uh, you know, I used to do a joke uh, when I would have a joke that bombed, which has happened. Uh, Once or twice. A, a night. Uh, I, I would be like, uh, oh, you think that joke's too soon? Well, I was doing 9-11 jokes before the second plane hit the tower always got the crowd back it always got a laugh okay. like 100 percent of the time until one night a guy comes up to me after the show and says hey earl you were really funny but my brother died in tower two and you're just like uh, uh oh uh, sorry you, you, uh, that joke's not for you then not that not that tower too it was just, uh so you, you know it, but if you do like republican jokes in orange county which is primary yeah. it's not all republican but it's it's primarily leans yeah. uh you're gonna struggle uh know the crowd uh but you know some crowd like uh, joey diaz uh he's he's one he's an amazing person like yeah that's someone who i don't know how mma world is but like comedy's filled with bullshitters and users i wish everyone yep. were just, like just joey like, just like mma yeah <laughs> it's the same or i can imagine <laughs> But well, Joey's the real deal. How do, how do you think Joe? Why do you think Joe Rogan's so comfortable in MMA? But he's <laughs> so the same shit. Like I love Joe, uh, Joey, and Joe because they call you out on the bullshit. Hundred uh, percent. That oh, how scared were you for Carlos Mencia when when he stole Rogan stuff? Well, uh, you know, I'll give Mencia this. He stayed up there, like, yeah. uh, you know. Joe, but once again, Joe was the only one. Who, everyone knew Mencia stole jokes. Yeah. Everybody did. Uh, I mean, it was, I don't know. It'd be like in the MMA world, uh, you know, I mentioned Overeem. You know, I, I would assume most people in the in the MMA community, okay, you don't go from 205 to 265, right. uh, you know, with no body fat. Like, what's going on here? Uh, Joe was the only one who called him out. And Carlos had a posse with him that night. Like, yeah. that's something that's not really talked about he had like a i don't want to say a gang but like four or five of his homies and like i think joe was i mean of course joe was you know protected at the comedy store just because he's joe uh but joe was up there pretty much alone and then uh you know it, it's but i don't think mencia cared like no he's he's getting paid he doesn't care now he's not know. getting paid now i mean it kind of it kind of set the beginning of the end for him the show went off the air and then everything else happened after that and he's what's he doing now i haven't heard anything i mean i mean he still does comedy you know that's the weird thing in comedy is there's a misconception of if you and it's probably same in mma to a degree uh, you know like bigfoot silva still fights but you never really hear about it you know i it's funny i found that out in acting so a friend of mine sean patrick flannery he's boondock saints right uh, you know opposite norman um and he trained with me at, at my raw gym down in El Segundo when we had it back in, you know, in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And he's just for a little bit, but he has his own jiu-jitsu academy. And I worked, 
uh, as a stuntman, I worked on a, on a horror film with him. And I was like, hey, Sean, I don't know if you remember me, Frank Trigger. He was like, oh, dude, totally remember, whatever, blah, blah. You told me I do my double leg. We caught up, whatever. I was like, dude, what are you, you know, what, I haven't seen you in forever. Like, what are you, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm still, you know, just acting. That's all I do. Like, I haven't, you know, you haven't really done anything big since, since Boondock Saints 2. So what's, what are you even doing? Or Powder, Powder was after that. He's like, I he's like oh, I, I work all the time. Like, I'm, I am constantly working as an actor. Like, and what? He goes straight to DVD, straight to streaming, sure. straight to Netflix, straight to, he's like, he's, you know, he goes, I make, I make a really good living. Like I have a, still my place in, in, in Southern California. I have a huge ranch down in, down in Houston. Uh, I have two schools, two jitsu schools that, that pay, do just enough to pay the bills. But I'm able to work out at it. He goes, that's kind of what's going on. He goes that, but I work all the time. I was like the first time I was like, just cause you don't see somebody doesn't mean they're not working. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, uh, one of my favorite probably my favorite boxer and, and, and once again I, I cried when larry holmes was just fucking destroying this guy tex cop uh, yeah. who uh you know after that fight he got more into acting anyway but he still fought but no he, you know he would do these kickbox he was like a world-class kickboxer yeah but he would fight in like the country club in Reseda, which was a very famous uh, uh music club but they would also have like at the time kickboxing events and uh yeah. Uh, you know, Carrot Top is a guy who, you know, he had that one movie, Chairman of the Board, which, you know, probably didn't do very well. Uh, and he kind of, in the public eye, disappeared. He plays Vegas every weekend, makes millions. He has a, uh, he has a residency. I think at the Luxor. Luxor. Uh, he used to live three doors down from me when I was, when I was still living in Vegas. I see him all the time. Talk about same it. grocery store, same, talking about a guy that got big all of a sudden. <laughs> that pool. Uh, I mean, what it like? Yeah, uh, once again, I don't want to get sued here, but like, uh, we're not necessarily talking about Carrot Top, but when when a is that like? Let's just, this is, is this is Frank Trigg. The views that I'm about to say are mine and mine alone, and not and no one else made me say it, or nor are they responsible for what I'm about to say. That fool was on steroids. Okay, I saw him and he legitimately grew 25 pounds in a week. I watched it. And still has no legs. <laughs> it was all shoulders and arms. I was like, "Holy crap, this guy is swollen!" Like, what but is that? Uh, like growth hormone, or is it no? I mean, it could be anything. Because remember, in that so, in our part of Vegas, which is up towards Summerlin, um, I don't know if he still lives there now. It's been years since since then. But he used to live up in that area. But also, too, that's where Jay Cutler was, and all the bodybuilders oh, were right. up in the Summerlin side because this is where everybody trained out of. If you wanted to be good. As a bodybuilder, and you lived in Vegas at the time, Jay Cutler was a guy you were chasing. So everyone would follow wherever he was training. It would follow everyone, all these, you know, tremendous, amazingly huge, 6'3, 300 pounds, shredded, big ass bodybuilders. The girls were, you know, 6'2, 6'1, 225, 235, shredded, were going and doing Pilates. You're like, why the hell are you doing Pilates? Because Jay Cutler said it's great for your abs, long, lean, lean out these abs. So abs, abs for Jay were hard for him to come in. That's what we do is do Pilates. All of a sudden, all these bodybuilders are doing Pilates. You go to these Pilates classes, you're like, what the hell is that gargantuan doing in the corner? I was like, oh, it's professional bodybuilder. That's what they're doing. Everybody followed suit. So up in that area, it could have been anything. I have no idea what he was on. On my guess, my uneducated, uh, unsolicited advice, probably human growth hormone with testosterone and probably Decker Winstrel thrown in. That's probably what he was doing. Uh, doing a full stack, doing eight weeks on and doing six or eight weeks off and then coming back to it. And that's just kind of seems like what he was doing because he was getting jacked and shredded every single time I see him. He'd be jacked and shredded, jacked and shredded. You're like, geez, like what the hell? Why can I get on that cycle? And well, because I'm getting drug tested. Well, that's <laughs> so another thing. I comics feel, don't get drug tested. <laughs> but I feel guilt. Well, that, that there's not many comics work out. Like there's, 
I would say me. Are you trying to say what's his name? Uh, Rogan. Uh, uh, Louis Black doesn't work out. Uh, yes, I am trying to say that. <laughs> uh, I would say Carrot Top. I would say uh, Chappelle works out. You could tell. Yeah. He's, uh, he's pretty jacked for a comic. Now I'm saying for a comic. Yeah. Uh, but you know that's even you talk about bodybuilding. Like I'm such a fan of the fucking '80s. Like I remember just being obsessed with Tom Platts, who was uh, yeah the guy with the biggest legs of all time. Like they were just, uh, and he had a big upper body, but like his legs were like, it's the opposite of carrot top. That's why he couldn't win is because his legs were misproportionate to his upper body all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's why he didn't win all the big ones. You're like, you know, and it's finding out years later that Schwarzenegger had implants put in his calves because he couldn't get his calves to come in. Right. And then when he found out as a kid in the eighties, you found out as a kid in the eighties that, that Hogan was doing steroids. Remember that? When it freaking blew your mind. Like, what do you mean he's doing? He's taking his vitamins and playing his prayers, and he's my brother. Like, what's happening? Like, dude, it's just it's how oh, it goes. Man. My favorite guy was the Ultimate Warrior. Who, yeah. uh, like, he was like the poster boy for, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, 285 pounds, not a fucking square inch of fat on not the guy. One. And, uh, Shredded. Now uh, every day, every time, every time you saw him on TV. Just oily and veiny. Like, what the hell is going on? I get sad with. I mean, I'm a pro wrestling guy, and I know you had, uh, you know, uh, t experience with TNA. TNA, uh, and then I was just on Impact uh, in October. I was on Impact in October. Now, did you find it because there are some MMA uh, guys? I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Lesnar was probably pro is probably the most famous example, but uh, yeah. Tank Abbott, I know, went to. Uh, WCW. Ken, Ken Shamrock's doing pro wrestling right now. He's, oh, Ken, still? Uh, yeah. Uh, I actually worked, uh, when I worked on Impact, I worked a gimmick with him and Moose, um, where I was training Moose to get ready for this MMA fight against Ken, and it blew, blew into a full pro wrestling match, and then, you know, whatever happened, happened you know, whatever the, the gimmick is. And Ken was like, I was like, what have you been doing? He's like, and Ken looks shredded. Ken, Ken is in the best, best shape of his life. Best shape he's ever been, even when he was fighting. Better shape than when he was doing drugs. And he'll tell you, I was, you know, shit ton of steroids and doing a bunch of drugs and drinking alcohol and like just ruining my life. And I, when I was fighting, he goes, then I, you know, got married and got his kids. And now he's very much straight lace, straight line, no drugs, no alcohol and works out all the time. And he is shredded. I saw him with his shirt. I'm like, Whoa, like you're in better shape now than you were fighting. I was like, yeah, it's like, if, if you want to be a pro wrestler, you got to be in shape because no matter what you think, this stuff hurts. At some point you're going to get hurt. You're going to miss the ring post. You're going to miss the ring pad and hit the post. You're going to get your eyes scraped down. It's supposed to be fake, but all of a sudden your face gets put on the ring rope. You get dragged down it. You know, a guy misses a, misses a, a a drop kick he misses a chop he miss, you know you're gonna get hurt so you got to be in shape to not get hurt i'm like dude you look you are incredible so i'm in better shape now than than when i was doing drugs 100 better well i mean i uh i've always laughed at people who say it's fake i mean it may be scripted it's uh, a live stunt show but uh you know you look at like uh, you know sting's my favorite pro wrestler and you know, I God damn. You be real estate, Steve. I, well, I cried. You haven't, uh, you haven't heard that story? No. How I met Sting? I was at TNA, and you met Sting. Yeah, I, I've known Steve for. I knew Steve for a long time before. So this is this is you guys are gonna laugh at my naivety. Uh, so I was uh, in TNA in the locker room with with uh, with uh, uh, Kurt Angle, who I was you know minimizing at the time. You guys looked alike. Yeah, yeah. So I was. Him, the gimmick was that he'd go beat up AJ off camera, behind the scenes, whatever. AJ would get mad, and he he see me loading stuff into the trunk of the car, see me getting ready to work out, but he see me from behind. He come up and beat me up and hit me, and so I was always taking the the beating that that Kurt was supposed to get, whatever. That was the gimmick. But so I see Steven there, and we had talked before, 
um, independence here, like separately, you know, about real estate that he had made some real estate investments and that's what he was doing with his money. And then he would, you know, instead of flipping the houses, he would fix them up and keep them and then rent them out. And then he would rent them for more than the mortgage payment. And this is back when I didn't understand anything about real estate. So he was like, give me a real good education. And all of a sudden he's sitting in the locker room in Orlando as I'm getting ready for a taping for TNA. And he's like, uh, uh, I'm like, Hey Steve, what are you doing? He goes, oh, hey, hey, Trey, how you doing? What about Bob? Go about our business. And I come in, he's putting his makeup on. No fucking clue. He was staying. He had no idea. Completely oh, really? lost my shit in the locker room. Completely lost my shit. Total fanboyed out. 100%. Holy fuck, you're Sting. You're holy. I couldn't fucking believe it that he was Sting. I had no, could not put the two together. I had no idea. I had no clue. He's like, yeah. He goes, I just thought you knew. He goes, dude, remember that time I was talking about it? He's like, yeah. He's like, I had no fucking idea that you were Sting. I had no clue. He goes, dude, that's funny as shit. I thought that's why you were talking to me because you're a fighter and I'm a pro wrestler. I'm like, no, I had no idea. No clue. So, well, I mean, when he went to WWE, which, which was a big fucking deal, because yeah. he was the only guy, in, you know, who didn't go. He's like, I'm a reborn Christian, or you know, yeah. it's that your guys' storylines aren't aren't for me anymore. Yeah, you know, uh, it's not my life anymore. And then they just in his first match, they fucking buried him. Yeah, uh, with Triple H, and uh, you know, unforgiving. Uh, WWE is unforgiving. They don't give a shit. Well, it, it, and it kind of gets me into, like, maybe we'll segue into how possibly certain organizations might be that in the MMA world. But, like, to me, it, it, it's like, uh, you know, this guy's a wrestling beyond a legend. I don't know what the yeah. next thing is. Yeah, what, what, the only, the only, what, who's the, who are the bigger wrestlers than him? Than Sting. I mean, Hogan might be considered bigger. You might consider Andre the Giant because he passed early. Flair, obviously, because Flair is the, is the biggest. I don't care what everybody says. Flair is the biggest star in pro wrestling has ever had. He by far and away crushed everybody. But still, Iron Sheik and and uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Piper, Piper uh, like he killed all those guys. Sting was way better gimmick than than those. I mean, still today, people are trying to mimic Sting. Well, I They're think his, trying to mimic him. his problem uh, was he never went to the WWE in his physical prime. Yeah, like there were so many matches, like you know, the Undertaker and him would have just been crazy yeah. and. Uh, you know, so by the time he went to WWE, he was he's certainly not like ancient. He's fifty four. Yeah. Uh, but in wrestling, that's like fucking four hundred years old. Uh, and then they just buried the guy. Yeah, like, but, oh. And and to your point, yeah, there are some organizations like that. The UFC is number one at that where they bury you. They don't you you sign up for the UFC, and and they're not they're not. So at first, I thought they were just being mean. They want to get rid of everybody and kind of like right. just prove the biggest show in town. No, that's Joe Silva. He's now retired as the, as the matchmaker. He's right. since retired. He made a shit ton of money for the UFC, and they paid him out when the buyout, and then he's gone. He's retired. Smart, good for him. He set it up. He tells you when he would sign you, you're getting thrown to the wolves. There is no easy match in the UFC. Not one person. You come in 20-0, 30-0. Look at uh, 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 Shorty Torres, uh, Jose Torres from, from Chicago. He comes in. He's, he's like, his amateur record was like 21-0 or 22-0. Then when he was 5-0 as a pro, and in the smaller leagues and comes in the UFC and, and loses and goes, uh, uh, goes two and three. You're like, what the hell happened? No easy fights. That's the way that place is set up. That's the way that promotion has set up their fights. Nobody gets a tomato can. Nobody gets an easy fight. Everybody gets thrown to the wolves. But then when they say that they have the best fighters, there's a little bit to that claim because all their fighters have been put to fire every single fight. There right. hasn't been like a boxing set, of a guy we talked about it earlier with De La Hoya throw these fights. If these guys he's trying to build up, trying to build their records up, trying to get them going on Friday night, like he's trying to get these guys set up so that later you can go, yeah, this guy's 12 and 0, he's 13 and 0. He's got, you know, whatever, six knockouts and start putting this guy to work. You know, he's got, he's got a reputation now. In MMA, they don't do that. Everyone gets thrown to the wolves. Every fight you take in MMA, you can be thrown to the wolves. 
The UFC just does a really good job of telling you that when you walk in the door. You want to sign with us? Tough fight right off the bat. You know who's in the weight class. You know who's who we have signed. Who do you think you're going to fight when you come in? 100% you're getting thrown to the wolves. We want to see if you can rise to the top of it. The other promotions don't tell you that. But every promotion is like, we got to put you to the top. We got to put you in the game. If we're signing you, if we're investing dollars in you, if we're investing marketing money in you, if we're going to spend our time on you, you better pan out. You got to make us money. To find out if you can make us money, you got to win fights. If you can't be this guy, you're out. That's just how it goes. Well, as a fan, I do kind of like, I liked what they did with Lesnar. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, you want to, Mr. Pro Wrestler, you want you want to be in our uh, playpen? Heath Herring's your first fight. Like, like if Heath Herring's your worst fight on yeah. your card, you've been through the ring because he was pretty yeah. good. Like, yeah, Heath uh, was good when he when he fought Lesnar. He was still still right the tail end of his prime, but still in his prime. Oh, you want to? All right, you're gonna get Frank Mir uh, twice. Uh, yeah, you're gonna get. Uh, well, he only got Frank twice because he lost the first time. <laughs> well, let me get uh, has a ref like, uh, and I want to get back to my wild scenario. Uh, oh yeah, sorry, dude. I told, no, no, totally off topic. I mean, I know at some point you have to leave. Uh, like in that first Lesnar Mir fight, not leaving ever. Uh, well, I mean, who, who <laughs> am I to sit there and kick you out? Uh, uh, you know, uh, Lesnar was uh, probably on his way to beating him, and then there was a few hits to the back of the head, and they they re. I think it was was yeah. it Mazzagatti? Uh, uh It might have been. I'm not sure the ref was. Um, they, he stopped the fight, and then they restarted, and then that's when Mir got him in the toehold. I think uh, uh, knee bar. Well, do you he, think he that's... Hold. He had both, but yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Please correct me. And, uh, like, uh, as a ref, would you have stopped that? I mean, I know you probably haven't seen the fight in, in a minute, but, like, do you... Like, there was so much uh, marketing behind that fight with Mir. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, this is where I think the UFC, MMA is kind of like comedy where... Like they want someone to win, they want them to win. Uh, Lesnar was that probably would have been a good look for Mister WWE to come in beat mm. the ex champ. They restart the fight. Mir does what he does. Like, would you have stopped the fight? No. Do you think the ref was under pressure of like Jesus? Do I stop this? That was a hit to the back of the head. So I, I can say this about Steve Mezzagotti. He, he did. He really did get a bad rep. Um, he really did try to get better at refing and then got got pulled from refing. Um, he came back and reinvented himself as a judge because he really wanted to be around the sport. He wasn't a guy that was just, just doing it for the glory of doing it to be on TV. He really wanted, he really loved MMA and he really thought there was a position for him. So he's like, look, you guys are going to let me judge or you guys are going to let me ref. I'm going to go become a judge. I'm going to go learn to be, become a judge and do these things and make things work. Um, uh, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure. Was it, was, it, was it the UFC and Dana saying, we don't want this guy. Was it that he just really sucked? I don't know because I didn't. I don't work in Nevada as a as a ref or a judge, so I don't really know um, uh, uh, what fights he was on, what fights he wasn't on, and what happened to him. But then when that when that was over, when judging was over, I went to a fight in Nevada. He's a timekeeper. He ran himself. I'm like Steve. You know how humbling it is to come in as one of the refs that they use every single time they have a fight in Nevada, to being the guy that you get ostracized out, that you get removed and lose your refing license, that to come back in and and get a, a judging license to then get removed from that. You've now been kicked out twice with from, from the commission in the sport for you to come back to be a timekeeper. Not saying a timekeeper is a lower, but it's his third position. Right. That is super humbling. And he does it with a smile on his face and doesn't care because he's in there. Steve really cares about MMA. He really wants to be in the sport, a part of the sport. 
Do I agree with the decision for him to stop, step down as a, as a referee? Absolutely, I do. He was making mistakes. He could have corrected them. He could have went and took a course, went and took John or, or Herb Dean's course, and learned re, how, to be a, how to be a better referee, redid it. It just didn't happen for him at that point. During that fight, I don't remember it clearly in my head, but I will tell you this. It was Mazzagati. I'm looking. Okay. Uh, I'm looking okay, so it's intent. The back of the head. We're going to watch this. Uh, well, uh, for those of you at home, I, I'm showing uh, Frank uh, the fight. Uh, Lesnar is, is pretty much winning the fight. And then let's, let's mirror roll up on him and get that knee bar. That's the very end right there. He's tap. Now, right before this, there was a few, uh, I don't want to say light shots. because I, There's nothing yeah, light at the heavyweight division. Light from Lesnar, <laughs> especially from Lesnar. Uh, kind of like a 50-50, like hits to the back of the head. Yeah. Like, do you think he was under tremendous pressure of like, don't stop this fight, dude? Like, So so who who hit who in the back of the head? Lesnar? Lesnar. Hit, uh, hit Mir in the back of the head. Was... Well, he was hitting him in the face, and then there's like maybe a couple in the back of the head, and then he'd go back to the face, and like. Okay, so here becomes the issue too. So, and I'm sorry because we didn't, we weren't able to see it. Did, did uh, uh, he stood him back up again? Obviously, yeah, he stood him back up again. And, and Mir was underneath. He stood him up, and that's when so, Mir. So, my assumption is Mazagati, and this is the protocol. I, I, like I said, I don't know what happened. Don't, don't blow me up don't yell at me don't start calling me and names and all this other bullshit well there are every, trolls out there. every time i start talking about a, another referee another fight i always get lit up by everybody i'm talking i'm not talking to trolls like promotions heads of promotions will call me like you can't say that you can't talk about that I yeah get, i get lit up by all these other people for for saying stuff well anyway, i don't want to get you like i said so no, before anyway, we started when, so what my assumption is is that mazagati went Watch the back of the head, stop hitting him in the back of the head, and then he saw a second or third shot right. after the warning, and I went, okay, stop, time, separate. You hit him in the back of the head, what's the intent? Is the int Were you intentionally trying to hit him in the back of the head, or was Mir mere moving his head? So in our pre-fight that we talk about, we go into the pre-fight, uh, uh, here's the rules, here's what I'm looking for. As your referee tonight, that's what I'm looking for. One of the things I say is like, look, you get inside, you have an underhook on the far side, you're inside mount, you're punching the crap out of him, and he turns his head and you hit him in the back of the head. I'm going to warn you for hitting him in the back of the head, but that's a mulligan. That's on him. He caused that to happen. He turned his head. But now you know he's going to turn his head when you throw a punch. Right. I know he's going to, he's going to turn his head when he throws a punch, which now tells me you have to keep it legal. If you hit him in the head again, I'm going to stop. I'm going to call time. I'm going to stand you up, and I'm going to make you lose the position. Which is what happened. And uh, that's how it, that's how it right. should go. I've warned you. I've given you the, the soft warning in back. Hey, watch this position. I've now given you the hard finger wag, the mama finger wag. Hey, watch the back of the head. You hear us yelling on, okay, stop time. Let's get up and change this position. The penalty is to separate you from the position. If I think you purposely held his face in position and whacked him in the back of the head, I'm taking a point. If you're being egregious about how you hit this guy in the back of the head, I'm taking two points. You are intending to hit this guy in the back of the head and you are doing it with severe intention. You're being egregious. I'm taking two points. That's how it has to work. That's how it goes. Mazagai didn't take a point. He stood him up and said, look, this is, this is a position that you were supposed to watch the back of the head. You got to stand him up. Doesn't matter. So the cool thing is, is that you can be under pressure from the promotion. But most people, people don't right. know this, don't know this, how this works. You can be under pre pressure from a promotion to have a particular fight or win. We don't work for the promotion. We work for the commission. Now it gets convoluted when like in, in, in whatever they go to someplace, I'm a, Brazil has a commission, 
right? I'm, I'm thinking about my my buddy Guy. That's a that's a judge down there. Um, uh, uh, Brazil has a commission. Don't think they don't have a commission. They have a commission. But the UFC goes down there. There's no commission in Brazil. They bring Mark Ratner in to help set it up, and they get and they bring in their own inspectors. They bring in their own judges. They you know they get everything lined up with the referees. Blah blah. blah. They get everything lined up. You technically work for the commission that doesn't exist, which the UFC is the commission. So then technically you work for the UFC, but regardless of where you are or what you do, you don't really work for the promotion. You work for the commission, but the, but the promotion pays your fee. So they have to give a check to the commission to pay you at the end of the night. So you're still working for the, for the promotion. Right. So it's a really weird kind of situation in California. The promoter and the people that work for the work for the the promotion cannot are not supposed to speak to me about something they don't feel like is right. They have to go talk to the lead inspector or to the executive officer if if he's if he's present uh, during during the event. They go talk to him and then I get relayed. Hey, you screwed up on this. You fix this. In California, when you walk out of it, when we walk out of the ring or the cage, when we get out, we walk down. The next referee coming in will let you know. Hey, you probably should do this better. Hey, you should oh, wear this really? better. And so, like when I when 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 Beltran walks out. He immediately looks at me. Hey, did I do okay? Yeah, you did great. I, man, I feel like I feel like I was I was one step behind that stop, dude. There was no way. Like you talked to Jason Herzog, who did the Askren Masvidal fight, right. Masvidal fight. He is still. I, I try to say. I try to say Askren right. and, and, and Masvidal fight. I was like, wow, that's that's, that's not a fight. So <clears throat> when he he basically the only way he could have been there faster is if he literally went, "Are you ready to fight, Friday? You ready to fight? Fight. That's it. Fight's over." That's the only way he could have been there faster. He was in perfect position, but he it still eats him up today that Masvidal was able to get one extra hit in after he knocked him out. That still eats him up. And that's the reason why Herzog is legitimately one of the best referees in the entire world because he has that kind of dedication. Those guys who are obviously my superiors because they've been, they've been roughing a lot longer than I have, when they come in and they come out, they still look to me as a peer. They don't look to me as an, right. as an underling. Hey, what do you think? And we talk to each other about what happened, what went on. So we know when we walk out of that cage for the first fight of the night that we have to ref, that we still have three more fights tonight that we know that we're doing okay, we're on, and we're on track. You know, I've been in, I've been in, in, in events where a ref has come in, a very high, big-named, high-profile referee has come in, walked out of the fight, and be like, I'm not feeling it tonight, guys. I need, to, I need to sit down. Can you guys go ahead and cover the rest of my fights and switch in one of the guys, like Mike Bell, who refs and judges? Switch him out. Have him come in a ref for me. I know he's got his stuff. I'll go sit down and judge instead. I, I'm not feeling it tonight. I don't want to make a mistake. And I don't want to ruin somebody's career, ruin somebody's life, or ruin somebody's health. So let me get out of this. And this is what we do in the state of California. I can't speak to everybody for every other right. state, but I can tell you in California, this is what we do. We watch out for each other. And we take when we, when we screw up, we admit it. Hey, we, we screwed up. God forbid Andy Foster's there, who's the executive officer for, for California, and you screw up. He's going to tell you when you walk out of the cage. He's going to tell the promoter that we know that you screwed up. And then he's going to tell everybody else that we're going to be talking about that particular instance in the post-fight uh, meeting afterwards. When all the fights are over, when everyone else is done, everyone's going home and getting their drinks. The refs, the judges, the timekeepers, the inspectors all have to go in the back and have a post-fight meeting and talk about what happened, what went on. And if you're the one who screwed something up, you're going to get brought, brought to task in front of everybody when you screw up. So it makes it super easy. Like, oh, this is great. Okay. This makes it, it makes it super easy. Everybody knows what the mistake is. Everybody understands how you felt about the mistake. Everybody understands how to fix the mistake. And you are now educated on what you need to do to fix that mistake. You could literally ref the next night 
and have that exact same scenario happen and you will do it better because of the way that Andy Foster has set up the protocols for this particular particular thing for in, in California, which he just got he just got no, uh, recognized as the best commission for boxing MMA in the, in the entire country because of the way he sets these things up. So when we go in with a guy like Mazzagatti, like he might be pressure from him back then. Oh, we want we want uh, uh, Lesnar to win. We don't want Mir to win. It doesn't matter. I don't work for you. You're not my boss right now. Who is my boss is the lead inspector and the executive officer of the of the commission. Now, in some commissions, some promotions, whether it be K2, the Klitschko brothers, or Golden Boy, or or UFC, or Bellator, it doesn't matter. Some promotions have that kind of pull where they can kind of control the commission as well. Even though it's a real legitimate legal commission, they still have that kind of power because they bring in so much money. When Dana White said it a while ago, when the UFC comes in, it's a $10 million boost to the economy. Every time they come in for a fight, they, don't you want $10 million to your economy? Of course you do. So you, you're going to cater to them. You're going to listen to them. But you also have to be able to stand up and be like, hey, look, the ref made a good call. The ref did a good thing. This is the reason why is to be able to talk to them. And sometimes the, the, the executive officers just aren't strong enough to be able to do that. And so they kind of, kind of get pushed over when something happens by one of the promoters and then the promoters have to uh, then you kind of yell at the refs and the next time that promotion comes back to the state that particular ref doesn't get used and and the, and the promotion has full rights to not use a referee they can absolutely say i don't want to use that referee he screwed up for us before he messed up with us i don't want to use him take him off the rest and that and that's totally possible it's happened to me i was assigned to a ufc like Maybe UFC 199, UFC 200, something like that. Maybe not 200, because that's a big. That was a big one. But whatever was something. I got assigned to it, and like an hour and 15 minutes later, I'm calling the executive officer after I got the assignment. To be like, oh wow, I got this great, this great assignment. As I'm looking at my app that tells me I have an assignment, right. uh, I'm off. Hey, what happened? Did I do something wrong? Is it no, no promotion just didn't want you on. That's just what it is. Okay, all right, that's it. That's just how it goes. You can go in there and go. I have I have fighters that don't want me to fight. Won't want me to ref their fights. Just grudges from the past. Whatever, or? whatever reason they don't they don't like how I how I ref one of their fights. They don't like how I ref one of their friends' fights. Uh, they feel like that. Uh, 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 you know, the fighters are super superstitious. They're super superstitious. They tell they're not, but they're super superstitious. Oh, because I used to have a podcast where I would interview fighters before fights and get right. their feelings on it, and then they'd be like, "Oh, you interviewed me, before, and and uh, the last time you interviewed me, like." Uh, uh, Steve A. Miosik will not do an interview with me ever. Really? The, the 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 last time that he did an interview with me, he lost the next fight. Oh, it's just so he will not he will not do an interview with me. He's superstitious because if he, it is, if I interview him, then it's a problem. I have fighters that are like, no, you roughed, and they tell me honestly that like, like fighters, we're all very honest with each other. It's not right. like we try to hide anything. You don't like somebody, you tell them you don't like them. You don't go, oh hey, Aaron, nice nice to see you. And then when you walk away, like that motherfucker, he's a piece of shit. Like don't sure. do that. We do it right to your face. So I'll come in like, hey, I'm your ref tonight. Like, oh oh, is is there an issue? Well, when you ref my when you ref my buddy, he lost, and this is how he lost. I don't like how that is. Okay, hold on. Let me go. Let me go talk to the lead inspector. Let me see if you can't make a change because you're uncomfortable with me being your ref. Hold on. What? Yep. Look, let's go see. I will talk to the lead inspector. Can we make a change because he doesn't want me to ref his fight because of this, this, and this? The lead inspector, who is my boss on that night, will go. Nope, you're his referee. He's got to deal with it. Or he'll go. Yeah, you know what? We're gonna make a change. Can you swap? You and Beltran swap these two fights. Right. Okay, we swap. No big deal. And that's how it goes. It's very simple. It's very easy. Fighters have the right to choose to, to pick a different referee. They don't like the ref that comes in. Promoters have the right to pick different referees. They don't like the refs when they show up in the state. It's completely, it's completely honest. And you can say, hey, you are ready for the big time. And I, I'm refing Bellator and I'm refing UFC. I am in these events. I am there. I am sitting there in the I am on TV. I am doing these events. They can come up to you and say, hey, look, um, uh, due to the rotation, you should have this title fight. You should have the, the cyborg uh, bud title right. fight for Bellator on 25th. Due to the way the rotation works, you're not ready yet. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you the swing bout. 
So it's that's the main event. There's a co-main event and what they traditionally used to call the swing bout, which is the fight that may have made pay-per-view if it wasn't running over, but may not. We don't right. do swing bouts anymore. There's no fight that kind of gets held out. It, they're like, we're going to put you on that fight. Okay, that's that's the decision. You guys are outside my box looking into the box. You see my, my level. You see how good I am. You understand my passion for the sport. You understand how I am as a referee, where I am, and you know that I'm not ready for that fight. Then I have to trust you to know that I'm not ready for that fight. Don't make, don't get your ego in the way. Don't get upset. Don't get mad. Just move on. Okay, yep, then I got this fight. This is where it is. And they tell you. like They let you know, hey, due to the rotation, you should have this fight. You're not ready yet. Okay, good. And you never know when you're going to be ready. It's not like, hey, 10 more fights, you'll be ready. Five yeah. more fights, you'll be ready. You'll be ready when you're ready. Okay, I'm just down here. But here's the thing about MMA. In boxing, that price that you get paid changes significantly. I go from making $3,000 a night to making $25,000 a night. Right. It's a big significant change. In MMA, I'm going to make, I might make $1,900 or $2,000. If I do the title fight, I'll make $1,700 or $1,500 if I don't. It doesn't matter. It's not that big. It's a couple hundred bucks. Who cares? It doesn't matter, right? So it's not that big of a deal. So no one gets their ego in a way. We don't get charged up. We don't go, oh my God, it's a big deal. Like I got to, I got to have, no, who, ah, fuck it, who cares? So what? Do you I'll know what fight team. you're refing this Saturday? I won't know until I show up. I won't know until I show up. They, they will, they will release uh, the main event and the co-main event, which my assumption is going to be uh, uh, Beltran will get main event and Herzog will get co-main event. That's the assumption. Uh, but I also don't know who also is, is roughing that night. I know uh, Blake Grice is flying in from Carolina who does a lot of work for us here. And he's a senior official to me as well. So I'm fourth on the poll. Okay. I, will have a t I will have a TV fight. 100% will have a TV I fight. I love it. Because there's five fights on TV. Which one? I don't know. The first one, the third one. It won't be the fifth one. And it won't be the fourth one. Right. Because those will go to the guys with, with more with more senior. I'm, not, I'm just not there yet. And that's just and that's how it works. That That is really the progression. Uh, the going back to our original, you're talking about fighters and how to make good judges and good referees. Not only is it financial, not only is it time, but then once you do get to the pro ranks, you got your 100 amateur bouts in, they've given you your pro license. Oh, so here, here's an interesting story. Uh, uh, probably not good for a comedy show, though. Oh, I love um, it. <laughs> so well, I did. Are we are we on a time pinch here? Do we got to uh, shut Oh, no, off no. Point? I just, okay. every now and then I like to, uh, we're at the two hour mark. Okay, uh, yeah, this is easy. Like I can. No, no, I don't want you to. No, no, I can do, I can do podcasts all day long. I have no problem. Oh, I love, <laughs> I well, you talk a lot. Yeah, I do. I, this has been, I've been, been told that since i was uh six but like the only reason i even before you get to your story the only reason i referenced the, the lesnar mirror fight uh is in because i'm trying to get the fans to realize the pressure refs are under oh yeah because uh, mirror had uh i got the feeling he maybe burned bridges with the ufc with uh in some bit. capacity a little bit yeah and then now he's at bellator and right. you know and, do not, and it's a little it's a little weird and then I mean, lesnar was yeah. like uh and it kind of uh you know they wanted him to win in my opinion just like the fight this saturday uh with cerrone mcgregor yeah. I, I to me in my opinion of course they're, they want McGregor to win of course they do he's the money maker but like to me they're throwing Cerrone to the wolves it's like this guy's a fucking soldier of, uh, uh, no but that's the thing though Cerrone's not being thrown to the wolves this is a great fight this is matchmake wise this is a great fight but like but also too if Cerrone wins what's gonna happen that's my immediate point immediate rematch so means more money for everybody involved it's well, you know, it's, it's tough. Like, <laughs> like to, I just don't like how this guy's been a loyal company dude. I'm sure he could have gone to Bellator at some point, or you know, I'm old school. I'll say Strike Force. Oh yeah, nice. when they had the uh, maybe the greatest announcing team ever of Gus Johnson, a college football guy, and Frank Shamrock with the braces. Yeah, dude, that was awesome. It's like, I, I, honestly, like when that whole Mayhem Miller uh, Diaz brothers thing happened, and Gus yeah. Johnson's like, "Gentlemen, we're on TV." Like, 
<laughs> I love shit like that. But like, <laughs> at some point, somebody should have shut his mic off. As a fan of Cerrone's, it's like this is bullshit. And I know he's making money. Like, yeah, uh, uh, you know, he strikes me as the type. Of, he still fights for the love of the game. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. And if sure. I can make hundreds of thousands or whatever he's getting, great. But like. They clearly want McGregor to win so they can possibly build up a Khabib rematch. If, yeah. Am I wrong? No, you're right. No, you're right. 100% you're right. But the fight's going to fall the way the fight falls. The fight's going to be, it, it used to be as real as it gets. That's what it used to be on their on their canvas. This is legit. It's going to happen. The fight's going to fall the way the fight's going to fall. It's, it's just real. like with Bellator, well, since you're with them, yep. not you're not with them, but like since you're working at, like I would guess that Mr. Coker, uh, Want Cyborg to win? I mean, because if she loses, it's like oh, just like when we she spent lost. all this money, we spent all this money on somebody that's about to lose. When she lost to Nunes, like they spent all this money on her to to fight to be this great fighter. She lost to Nunes. It's, it's the same thing in every promotion. You've got your favorites. It's like being a parent. You have your favorite right. children. It's what it is. It doesn't matter. It's what it is. Are you the favorite? You're not the favorite. Doesn't really matter. They're still gonna go. They're still gonna. Your parents are still gonna die for you if they have to. But they're still a favorite. Everyone's got their favorites, but sometimes the favorites don't do well. It's just how it is. Sometimes the favorite's a drug addict and they're not a prisoner his entire life. That's just how it works. But as a ref now, like let's just say uh, you're refing uh, Cerrone McGregor. Mm -hmm. you, you go into that fight. You have an inkling maybe that uh, the promotion might be rooting for McGregor. Oh, just sure. You have an inkling, but you just don't care. But do you, uh, like, does that affect the pressure? Like, let's say uh, Cerrone, who, who's not necessarily known for his KO power, but, like, he's still capable of, yeah. uh, uh, let's say he's uh, got uh, McGregor on the ground and he's just killing him. Do you start to think, Jesus, uh, what if I stop this? Uh, I'm no. Gonna no, I, I don't. I can only speak for myself. I right. Don't, I, don't, I don't know what anybody else thinks. I know that for me, I do not think that way. I do not take that pressure. I don't care about what they got to say. I don't care about who they want to win. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is fighter safety. That's right. my job. I'm not in there to fight. I'm in there to stop you from doing fouls. A referee's right. job isn't, they don't, especially the NFL, because the playoffs are coming up and we're getting ready for Super Bowl here pretty soon. The ref, the refs and the line judges and all the stuff that they're there for, for an NFL, NFL, I was going to say fight, NFL game, match game. Uh, they don't stand there and go, uh, penalty for throwing a 30-yard touchdown pass. Right. No, it's clean. Everything was good. Why Why stop it? The only time they blow the whistle or throw the flag is when something is wrong. They're there for fighter safety. Helmet to helmet, holding, things that are going to do you damage, cut blocking, you know, uh, blocking in the back, like all these things. They're there. It's, it's, it's player safety. That's what the refs and judges are there for. Player safety. Yes, there's an empire, you know, call strikes and, and all that stuff, whatever, blah, blah. Sure. But it's also player safety. If they see something illegal going on, out there, baseball is a bad example because very things, everything that happens in baseball that's illegal is usually caught months later, like with Houston and the right. Red Sox getting caught for stealing signs. They, it happened months later. They, 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 they find stuff out later. But they're there for fighter safety. My job is fighter safety. If I'm refing Cerrone and McGregor and McGregor's taking a pounding and I have verbiage, there's verbiage that you have to say. Um, and, and we say this back to our pre-fight. I say this in the pre-fight. Uh, so you're looking for words. If you hear me say, um, uh, move, I need you to show me a move. I need you to show me you still want to be in this fight. Show me you want to be in this fight. You may say something like that. I need you to give me some kind of movement. You don't need to give me thumbs up. You don't need to look at me and tell me you're okay. Keep defending. I know what the defense looks like. I know what the movement looks like, but you got to move, right? It tells me that your head may not be working with your hands anymore, right. which means I got to think about stopping this fight. If you hear me say, I'm looking to stop this fight. You got to move right now. I am walking in to stop the fight. So you got to give me a big motion to show me your head and your hands are still coherent. 
Otherwise, to me, you are you are you are taking enough damage where I can stop this. The only time I get into a problem is when I step in and I don't say anything, but I have to stop the fight because the punches have already come. And that happened in the Bellator fight I fought in Hawaii. Uh, they did a big news report on it. It kind of went it went viral a little bit because during the fight, the guy got knocked out, clean knocked out. Right, so I step in, I wave the fight off, I, I literally elbow, and they're little guys, so I elbow the other his opponent off, and he flies halfway across the ring because he's they're whatever 125 pounders. I knee mount the guy that's that's been knocked out, and I had my knee on him, but I'm not on him; it's hovering above him right. to keep him from sitting up because he just took huge head trauma, he caught an elbow to the head against the cage. So I'm trying to hold him down. I'm like, hey, dude, it's okay. Let the let the doc come in. What are you talking about? And he's trying to reach and grab the cage to pull himself up. I'm good. What are you doing? Why did you stop the fight? What happened? What's going on? I'm like, hold on. Fight's over. You got knocked out. I need the doctor to take a look at you. The doctor will be here in a second. He'll take a look at you. Doctor comes over and I go, hey, still trying to sit up. You sure you got him? Doctor's like, yeah, I got him. Yeah, I got him. Get up, walk away, whatever, blah, blah, hands raised. Fight goes over. I go out, have a couple of drinks with my friends, have some food. Next day, I get a message, private message from him. I went back and looked at the fight. Thank you so much for stopping the fight. Not only did you save me in that fight, you have lengthened my career because you didn't let me take more damage. Thank you so much. And I just re my wife was like, you got to repost this. I'm like, no, it was a private DM. Right. I don't want to repost. I want to just want to keep it to myself. But it's very, she said, no, no. It's the one time a ref is getting praise. Refs never get praise. You right. need to let them know the other refs out there that they too, are, they can read this and understand that these fighters are thinking about them, even though they never got the note. It'll help out other referees. So I posted it. It kind of went viral, got picked up by everybody and, and it went on its thing. But it's to the point of I'm only in there for fighter safety. Right. I don't care how the fight is going. I don't care what's happening in the fight. I don't care who wins or loses. I want both guys to be able to fight later. I want both guys to be able to go on and be able to continue. And they are able to do this because I'm able to get in there. If McGregor is taking an ass kicking, I give him the warning. Show me that you're able to fight. Show me that you still want to be in this fight. I'm looking to stop the fight. He gives me no motion. I'm stopping the fight. I don't care who they want to win. It doesn't matter. What matters to me is these fighters are able to go home, have a, a, a course they're going to get cut. You know, sure. of course they get beat up. If they don't tap on an armbar, of course they're going to break right. their elbow. They don't tap on a on a kimur on an uma plata. Of course their their arms going to get broken. It's the way it is. But it's not going to kill them, right? It's not. It's it's nasty. It looks weird on TV. It looks disgusting. Makes you a little want to vomit a little bit. But they're not going to die from it. They're going to go right in the back. They have doctors ringside. They're taken care of. They get transported to the hospital. They'll get X-rays. They'll do the surgery right away. Like everything will be fine. It's not that big. Of, it's not really honestly. It's not that big of a deal. I want them to be able to continue on with their careers. If you let a guy take a bunch of head damage, you let a guy take a bunch of head beating, let a guy get beat up all the time, get thrown to the wolves, get you know get hit, take a bunch of damage on his feet, never fall down like like uh, Ray Mercer versus Tommy Gunn. <laughs> he kept Ray kept smack. He, he'd hit him with the left, and Tom would fall to the right. He'd be almost down to the ground. He hit him with the right, stand him back up again. He'd fall to the left. He hit he hit that guy. He hit Tommy probably fourteen or fifteen times, and the ref couldn't stop it because back then you got to wait till the guy hit the canvas for you to start right. to count. Now boxing has changed. You can get in and wave it off right away. Like the guy's taking too much damage. He wouldn't fall down. Tommy's legs wouldn't let him fall down. So as a result, Ray Mercer beat the living piss out of him. There's nothing you do to stop to stop it. Fighter safety has changed. It's evolved, especially in MMA. It's evolved. Now, if McGregor's taking a beating or Cerrone's taking a beating, yeah. it doesn't matter. You jump in, you stop the fight. The one thing refs have to have, thick skin, because you are going to get booed. You're going to get yelled at. You're going to get motherfucked on the internet. You're going to get yelled at all the time. And you got to have thick skin. So when I first started refing, like, hey, are you, are you okay with this? Because I had a couple of boos during right. amateur fights. I have messed up fights, but I've not messed up the decision of the fight. Right. I've caused mistakes to happen in a fight, but nothing to cause the wrong person to win. The right person always won, no matter what I did. Okay? So I've been very blessed. I've been very lucky in that mindset. But you still get booed. And when you got, it's, it sounds weird, 
but you're in a small hall and there's fight, and you, you wouldn't know some stand-up comedy. <laughs> you got 50 people booing you, it's way louder than 15,000 people booing you in a big arena. Oh, sure. In that little small room, you're like, wow, man, like I really screwed up. So I walked out, JT Steele, who runs camera, was like, hey, you okay? Uh, you know, you get, you know, I told you, refs have to have thick skin. You're getting booed. Like, you okay with this? You okay with this? I go, JT, have you ever seen me fight? He goes, yeah, I watched all your fights. Have I ever been cheered before ever? He's like, oh, no, you got booed the entire time. I go, yeah, I played heel the entire time I fought because heels are how you get paid. I played the heel. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get booed. Booing doesn't bother me. I could give two shits. It doesn't bother me. Boo me all you want. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. Why doesn't it affect me? Because I it's a gimmick. I got booed the entire time anyway. And because I had to take John's course twice to pass it. And I know how hard it is to be a referee and a judge. Now that I'm doing it, I realize that 95% of the people booing me have no idea what just happened. They have no, they weren't even watching. They weren't even watching the fight. They have no idea. They were getting a beer. They weren't paying attention. If you look around at the crowd, like next time you're at a live fight, look around at the crowd. At a big arena, not in the little small shows, not the ones down in Burbank, not the ones down in San Diego, but the big shows, like the ones in the big arenas, like at the Forum or Staples Center or at Anaheim Honda Center. You look at one of those fights, you look around, you'll realize, like, if you just look at one section, you realize, like, legit, 50% of the people aren't even watching the fight. They're on the phone, they're talking, they're screwing around, they hear a crowd, oh, yeah, oh. Right. They, they're, they're sheep. They jump up and start, they do exactly whatever the crowd is doing. Oh, yeah, it was great. Oh, what happened? And then look up. They see the replay. Oh, that was great. That was great. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was great. But they're there. You know what I'm saying? So like most people don't even pay attention to the fight. So to me, when you're booing me, do you really honestly even know what the hell just happened? Do you even have a clue what just happened? You're like, oh, boo, whatever, boo, boo. And they see the replay. The guy got a straight nut shot. Like straight nut shot. Straight up the center. One's even trying to hit him in the leg. Straight nut shot. Straight up the center. All of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, good, good job, rough. Good job. <laughs> you're like, now let me ask you two questions to wrap this up. No. Five. The t well, the tape might uh, burn out. So uh, uh, let's say you're refing um, a guy who's known as a dirty fighter. Like you, you know, I know Fedor was an honorable fighter uh, in yeah. terms of yeah. like there are dirty fighters. We do, we do have them. Uh, yeah. Well, I want to go to one particular guy. Uh, I might be fucking up his first name. Paul Harris. Roos is it? Roos. He was the guy with the leg locks. He would hold on to the leg locks. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Rusmar Paul yeah, Harris. Yeah, Rusmar Paul Harris. So say you're refing his fight, uh, and it kind of leads into my second question. Do you go into his locker room before the fight and go, hey, dude, not tonight? Like, I, I, when you know he's probably going to be dirty. So um, I don't say much when I fight, uh, when I referee. Uh, are you ready? Are you ready? Fight. Uh, but, like, I'm talking about before the fight. No, no, no. This is, this is okay. th I'm backstage now. Okay. This is, this is, this is my pre-fight. My pre-fight. I go, okay, just so you understand, I don't say much when we fight. If you hear me say I'm looking to stop the fight, if you hear me say um, uh, uh, show me you want to be in here, here's these things, we just talked about them. Uh, uh, to that point, if you hear me say stop, I need you to stop, especially if you have a submission on. I need you to stop. At that point, I have determined that you have done so good at this fight that your opponent is now defenseless, and I am now there to defend him. I will do whatever I have to do to get you off. If you hold on to the submission, like Paul Harris did against Jake Shield, kept that camera on too long, right. then I am going to eye gouge you, bite you, punch you in the mouth, do whatever I have to to save his shoulder, to save his knee, right. to save his neck. I am the, and, I, and guys, and you tell most of the fighters now, I've seen my fights, and you know how violent I can be. So you understand it's not going to bode well for you. I will do what I need to to get you off of him. And then you're going to get fined and suspended by the commission. And more than likely, because you and I have had this conversation, will have legal problems as well. I'm like, what do you mean legal problems? Because I've warned you to do this. If you now do it, your opponent, I'm going to tell him when I go to the other corner, your opponent has, has complete rights to see you civilly for fucking him up if you fuck him up. 
100%, because I've warned you not to do this thing. If you do this thing, now we're in a, heat, we're in a heated problem. And we have fighters that are like that. And we use Paul Harris as the example. We have I know uh, he did that to Jake Shields, and he also, uh, uh, John Fitch, John I want to say. Bar. He, yep. uh, he, held that knee bar. he caused John had to have uh, surgery. He was out uh, 10 months. He was out 10 months because he had surgery. He blew his knee out. And there was another fight. I might be uh, wrong in the organization. I want to say World Series, uh, but he, he did the same thing. And it's like, Jesus, this is every fight. This so now no one, no one, right. like jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu places don't even like him coming in. Like uh, 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 competition. Jiu-jitsu com competitors, I mean, like him coming in. Like, because they're think, like, they'll, he'll hurt you. But is he, like, at some point, he's, no, he's got to know he's, he's dirty. He's, he's dirty. So he's, he's just like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, it's, you know, I got to go until it breaks. Like, that's how I was taught. Well, guess what? This is a sport. It's not a street fight. If it's a street fight, go ahead until it breaks. It's a sport. If it breaks because he didn't tap or didn't yell out or didn't scream or asked to stop the fight, okay, it breaks. But if he says stop, then you got to stop. What is your problem? He just, he just will not stop. So he's dangerous. He's a danger to him. Himself, he's also a danger to his opponents. But so doesn't he realize mind. that I'm fucking up my career by like... Uh, Obviously not, because he kept doing it. He right. kept doing it. He did it three times. After once, you learn. At least three. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you do it one time and get caught. Okay, that's, I stopped doing it. Stop grabbing the cage. Stop kicking the nuts. Stop, you'll figure it out. Like, stop doing it. You know, pick, pick a different angle, pick a different range. You keep doing it. Okay, now we got a problem. There's an issue here. Well, it's like Joan, John Jones uh, has been accused in the past of the fingers, you know. Uh, and, yeah, poking guys uh, in the eye. It's not accused. He, we've seen uh, it. Like, well, if Boston put it knuckle deep in the guy's eyeball, we have a John Jones rule. That's how the now right. you come out when we, and once again, we're backstage. Hey, when you come out, you cannot have your fingers extended towards your opponent's face. I don't care if they're extended towards his legs or his crotch or away from him, above him, around him. Once your fingers are extended towards his face, they need to be in a fist or to the ceiling. That is offensively and defensively. So remember, if you keep your fingers to the ceiling and a guy charges you and you try to take a back step, automatically, human natural ability, the way that our body mechanics work, that fingers will drop down to his eyes. Right. If he runs into your fingers, he causes himself to run into your fingers, it is on you. I am taking a point. What do you mean? It's on him. I told you, fist or fingers to the ceiling. Your fingers are now straight out. That's how he ran into him. The only way you can run into him, if they're going straight out, you poked him in the eye, it's on you. I'm telling you. Keep a fist. Make it a fist the entire time. It's super easy. It's not that difficult. That is legitimately the John Jones rule. And that's how John McCarthy came up with that, specifically to counter John poking people in the eye all the time. Yeah. Not... And John asked for him not, when John, or Jones asked for McCarthy not to be his ref a couple of times when he was, when he was refing for him. And he's like, hey, it's totally fine. John was like, totally fine. He doesn't want me to ref him. He doesn't want, he doesn't want me to ref him. It's up to the commission. And the commission is like, yeah, we kind of want, we kind of want McCarthy on the on the john jones fight and so he did do it anyway now do bigger refs phys, like you know i'm trying to think of some of the bigger refs like when mccarthy was refing mccarthy he's a big goddard guy. is a big uh, is a big Mergliotti. guy Mergliotti is a big guy uh, like are they assigned it, are refs assigned like like who would ref that my fictional and ganu uh derrick lewis fight so it, it, it's funny they're, they're not gonna have it used to be that kind of way. You don't want John McCarthy refing 125 pounders because it looks weird. Right. So yeah, you do put some sense into that. Like, do you want do you want a Dan Mergliata refing Joanna Jerzyk at 115? Right. And Carlos Sparza. Like, it does it does it look a little weird to have that big gargantuan in there? But the refing has gotten so much better. If you've noticed, go go back and look at like five years ago, and you would see the refs all the time, all the time. Now the refs are kind of hidden. You don't really see us anymore. A couple of things have happened. One, the, the directors in the trucks have gotten better at camera angles and keeping the refs out of the way. But two, all of us kind of got the Mark Ratner 
speech, whether we got it directly from Mark or we got it from, from the third party or fourth party, we all got the Mark Ratner thing. And the deal is the referee is not part of the fucking show. We're not part of the fight. We have nothing. We're not part of it. We stay the fuck out of the way until we got to call a foul. We got to call time. We got to call a stop. Otherwise, stay the hell out of the way. There's a lot of guys that will angle themselves to purposely be on camera in right. other jurisdictions. And, I, and, I, and it still happens. And I see it when I watch these fights in other, in other cause I'm a fight fan, so I watch fights from sure. all over the place. You see them in other jurisdictions, like you are legitimately trying to get on camera. That is what you are doing. You are, you are not there for any other reason other than being on camera. And the difference between being on camera is legit a quarter step. It's not a full step out. You're not gonna be out of position anymore. It's a quarter step. Take a quarter step back and be out of the way. And they're never gonna see you. They're never gonna know you there. That's how refs should react, is that you shouldn't be in the way. So it's changed quite a bit is about, about how the visual aspect goes of referees, but you also know that when you see the ref getting in there, getting close, either 10 cent clacker's gone off, he's about ready to call time, right. or he saw something coming towards a foul. He knows the fighter is getting ready to get to a foul. Like if I see Paul Harris on the ground, they're rolling, him and Jake Shields starting to roll around, and I know two other times he's already blown a guy's knee out and blown another guy's ankle out, I already know this, I am right on top of him, screw camera angles. I'm not worried about camera anymore. I'm worrying about fighter safety. He's getting a lock on. I'm getting in there. I'm getting there tight. I'm getting there close. My hands are getting over. I know it's coming there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right on it. And the moment that Jake yells out, the moment that I turn me to fight us to stop, I'm going to start peeling stuff off. I'm going to start right. peeling away. I'm going to be right there. And that's just how you get in the way. But you always want to kind of be out of the way and not be a part of it. But yeah, if you're if you are refing these big ass these big ass fighters, and it looks weird because Margulata with these little straw weights, that might look weird. But you don't really see Dan, so it's not that big of a problem anymore. It's really not that big of an issue. I ref heavyweights all the time, you know, and I'm a, I'm 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 five foot ten, two hundred ten pounds. That's what I am. If you're right? a strong motherfucker. But they also they also know that I have a com I have a commanding performance when I'm in there, which is one of the things I really do pride myself on. There, I stay out of the way. I don't say much. I don't do much. But when I need to, it's important. And I get it across to the fighters that I'm doing something important. So it looks like, oh, you're super strong. You're super big. You can push those two big heavyweights off each other. Not really. They kind of gave up. They kind of stopped. They stopped because they knew I was coming in. They knew I told them to stop and they stopped. And I was able to push them because right. they weren't resisting. That's why I look like I'm so strong. It's not because I'm able to do anything. Also, too, I'm very good at getting in there when the fight's over and bumping a guy off because I never hit him straight on. <laughs> I always hit him at their hip and then angle, bang, try to get him off their feet. That's what I'm trying to do. Do you know uh, when a guy's fake, like, uh, you know, there's some kicks to the the middle region that are close to the balls, but not really, I, you know, like a, the high inner thigh. Mm -hmm. Do you know when a guy's faking, like he's acting like he got kicked in the balls? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And Which then, is dangerous because you're like, uh, is he like, you know, you're obviously he's in pain. You always go from the, from the, from the, the, the stance of safety. So you always, you always call time, give him a little bit of break. Or you tell him, look, I saw it. It's good. It's good. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I, I made that mistake. A guy got, got, clearly got kicked. I told him, hey, it's, you're good. You're good. Let's go. Let's go. And he was good. He wasn't hurt. But he got, he did get kicked in the balls. But he was able to keep going. But I missed it. I also thought that he got kicked in the ball, that he didn't get kicked in the balls. I thought it was a high thigh kick. But then on replay, everyone else can see it. If you call time and you're not sure, there's a, you notice there's a protocol. Neutral corner, neutral corner. You stand there as the fighter. No coaching. There, right? No coaching. Exactly. You stand in the corner. I'm going to go, hey, man. Watch, you're, you're responsible for all your kicks. I told you backstage, you're responsible for all your strikes. You're responsible for where it landed. It landed high. Just, I know it wasn't, it wasn't intentional. Don't worry about it. We're gonna go ahead and we'll, we'll have a conversation with him. We'll get this fight going as quick as, as quick as I can. But I need you to stay right here. I understand. But, uh, don't argue with me. I know it was unintentional. You're responsible. It happens again. I'm gonna, start, I'm gonna start thinking about taking a point. Okay, we good? Okay, walk over to him. As I'm walking over to him, I'm looking outside the cage at the, at the, at the head desk, at the head desk. 
The head desk has a monitor in front of it. In right. most jurisdictions. In California, we all get monitors, right? All the judges get monitors. And I'll look at the referee, the next referee coming in, who's, who's now technically is my second. Whoever the next guy coming into the cage is my second. I look at him. He'll look at me and go, nope, didn't hit him. Or, yep, it hit him. If it hit him, okay, I know you got hit. Let me know when you're ready to go. I want to get this fight started as fast as possible. Are you good to go? No, no, I need a little more time, a little more time. Do you need a doc to take a look at you? No, I think I'm okay. If you, if you need me to, I can walk you over to the dock. And then you walk him over to the cage door and let the doctor take a look at him at the cage door and blah, blah, whatever. If it's a no, you go, okay, look, didn't hit. I know you're good. We've already called time. Let's get this fight started. We're getting ready to get back to it. Well, go, but no, 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 no. Sorry, we saw the replay. Didn't hit. We're getting you back into this fight. You ready? You ready? Fight. You don't give me, you don't give me an excuse because I have confirmation from outside and I can see the jumbotron that shows it didn't, there was no contact. Right. Even though I thought there was contact. So all that happened was a, a six, seven, 12 second break and then we're back into the fight again. Let's go. If there's a real instance, I let them take as long as they're not. And how long do they get for a ball shot? Five minutes. How long do they get if there's blood? I don't know. How long do they get if uh, the finger's dislocated? I don't know. How long do they get if the if their toenails dislocated? I've never heard of that before. I don't know. Right. There's no time on anything but blood. Blood is or uh, nut shot. It's the only time. Yeah. The only time that frame that you have is with a nut shot. You have five minutes to recover. That's it. Everything else. So dislocated finger, like you, you're the ref. You see, uh, I'm just gonna throw out two wild names from the past. Paul Bonatello, the headhunter. Wow, and uh, that's how big of a great fan job, I am. great and, job. And fighting, uh, I don't know, uh, Rico Rodriguez, okay. and uh, uh, Paul uh, gets his hand caught in the cage, it dislocates his finger. You can't stop the fight. What's he doing? He's probably going. Ouch! That's okay. what I would be doing. Okay, so can he quit? If you raise attention to that to that appendage, I have to stop the fight. You, if you do not, you halt it or you stop it. Stop like, it. Fight's over. So fight. So if he says, "Hey, my finger's dislocated," you fight's go. over. Done. If he brings attention to it, fight's done. Fighter safety. If he does not bring attention to it, and, he keeps and you on just fighting, see it, and he keeps going. You're like, okay, so like a uh, 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 prime example, or no, I don't want to use that one because it'll get me in trouble. No, I'm trying to think of a fight where a so, guy had a disfigured. Uh, so no, say so. This goes in. This goes into. This goes into the thought process too. A guy's getting punched in the head, and he's got a cut above his eyebrow. Yes, wide open cut. Wide open cut. Doc has looked at it. They have. It's in between, It's already been between rounds. We're going to look at it. We're fighting. Uh, uh, it's a wide open cut. They got Vaseline in it. The bleeding has stopped. He's fighting. Bang, 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 bang. He's getting hit. He's getting hit in it. He's not touching it. He's not paying attention to it. He keeps fighting, but his eye is swelling closed. But he doesn't, he's not rubbing his eyebrow. He's not rubbing anything. He just keeps fighting. Keep the fight going. He keeps rubbing it with his hand. He keeps touching it with his hand. He keeps bothering. You can tell it's bothering him. It's bothering him. It's bothering him. Okay, hold on. Time. Let the doctor take a look at it. Now the doc, he's a medical professional. I'm not a medical professional. I don't know. All I know is, is that that thing is now bothering him because he's wiping it. There's no blood in his eye, so I'm not worrying about it stinging his eye or blinding his vision. But this thing is starting to swell up. Let the doc take a look at it. Doc, what do you say? Uh, fight's over. Okay, fight's over. That's it. Dr. Stoppage, fight's over. Boo, boo, boo. Doesn't matter. Fight's over. Doc says it's okay to go. Okay, good. All right, you ready? You ready? Let's go. Boom. Come on. Back onto it. You defer to the doctor in situations like that. You defer to the doctor with a dislocated finger, dis dislocated right. you know, toe. But if you see if you see it's dislocated, if you can tell it's dislocated, especially through a glove, you're like, dude, fight's over. We can't have it anymore. But if he's like, oh, ow, I hurt my finger. Like, okay, you all right? Like, stop time. You okay? You okay? Oh, man, I hurt my finger on the cage. I hurt my finger on the cage. Okay, come here. Let's talk to the doc. Let's walk over to the cage door. And the finger's like... Doc takes a like, look at him. Doc's like, it's dislocated. Fight's over. We're done. 
Now, let's say uh, what, last thing, and then I think the tape is going to blow up. First of all, thank you very much for Of course, my us. pleasure. Anytime. I'd love to do this anytime you want. Oh, I, th- listen, I, I'd make you a sidekick if you got the time. Uh, I'd do it for sure if there's money involved. <laughs> uh, well, this will be the last time you're on this couch. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, moving to the new studio? All oh, right, perfect. Well, if I can get rid of, uh, I don't like to talk about what's upstairs, but if I can... Uh, why, why would you want to talk about it? It's a perfect platform to talk about it. Well, it is, but I want to be known for my comedy and like, you know, then people want to ask it's me about it. It's still the an advertisement. You can do an advertising. If you, if you had, if uh, uh, BioCell came in here and wanted right. to do an advertising, you would run their commercial. Absolutely. You would talk about their commercial. It's a commercial for the stuff you're trying to sell. Well, I have a, the, probably the world's largest game-worn hockey jersey uh, collection of fighters. Um, so that means every goon, every enforcer. Pretty much from Steve I McKenna. I saw today. It is in incredible guys frank is one of uh, there's only been uh, i think four other people allowed in that room theo flurry uh two-time oh, wow. uh, stanley cup uh champion uh dustin penner a two-time stanley cup champion and uh and his police dog and uh one other person uh well we won't get into who that person was uh, why not what's the why you got a secret uh, yeah. was it a bad is it an ex uh yeah so okay right, we understand uh, that okay so but getting Were they back, trying to steal something? Were they get in a car trying to steal something? There's, there's some shit. If people knew the value of some of those things. Uh, but I'm luck, thinking about going up there and seeing about 10 of them myself. <laughs> steal the 9-11 jersey, but Eric Bolton. Uh, say yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not worth much anymore right now, right? That, what, well, 5, it 000, is. 6,000? Well, here's the here, funny story about that. So uh, you're right. Maybe I should talk about this. Uh, you should, absolutely. Rangers and Sabres, like I told you, yep. had the uh, first uh, sporting event after 9-11. Uh, they made uh, 20 jerseys, uh, 40 jerseys uh, total, 20 for the Rangers, 20 for the Sabres. No uh, authentics or replicas were made. Uh, they were um, auctioned off after the game, and the f- funds went to the firefighters and police from that day. And uh, the funny thing is they sat in a, you know, the auction took like a month. Of course. Uh, and because they, you know, they wanted the most amounts, so they left it open for a month. They left uh, all 40 jerseys on top of each other in a you know, basement in Madison Square Garden for one month unwashed. Oh. Now, I don't know uh, what I'm assuming MMA gear can get funky, oh, yeah. uh, but hockey uh, might be even worse just because you people don't understand. Like we were talking about Zdeno Chara being yeah. 270 naked, but with gear on, he's, he's close to probably. Yeah. Uh, you sweat... Uh, incredible amounts uh in hockey so to know that you had 40 jerseys unwashed for months so when i got the jersey actually won steve mckenna's uh he didn't play in that game uh but he skated in warm-ups so i won his jersey and eric bolton's jersey who got into a fight in that game uh when i got both jerseys the smell was so ungodly uh but i was so excited i had a show that night at the comedy store. You wore it anyway. I wore the Eric Bolton jersey. Ugh. And uh Your comedy stunk that night. Oh, I'm telling you, <laughs> every and I do you know, I do all right with the ladies back in that era of my life. I couldn't get a girl to come near me. Oh yeah, for sure. It was a month of Cause, stench. Because they're stinking, they're thinking like now does this jersey stink? What's this ball smell like? Yeah, what's that's his, what the girls are thinking. What's this dangling smell yeah, like? Oh, gosh, and uh yeah. So uh, my last question, and you are welcome yeah. back anytime. Maybe first of a- all, guys, you got to buy it. You got to get he, you got to get these jerseys sold because you want to get to the new studio. Yes, and then you can afford a sidekick so I can come in here every once a week and we can sit down and shoot the shit for three and a half hours. 
Well, it's you know you look at uh, you know uh, Brendan Schaub as a, yeah. a sidekick, fighting kid, fight yeah. kid. That's he's killing it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Joe doesn't necessarily have sidekicks, but he has semi regular, yeah. I guess, sidekicks. You know, Tom Segura, a Red yeah. Man, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe, et cetera, et cetera. Joey Diaz on there quite uh, a bit yeah, too. Joe, and Joey has a sidekick. Uh, yeah. Um, so well, I guess Joe Rogan's sidekick still is Eddie Bravo. Yeah, I mean Joe has a rotating, sense, yeah. uh, you know, uh, cast of. Uh, I would love to have you as a sidekick. You're perfect for a podcast because you talk a lot, and that's not an end. That I have no problem talking. I have no. I've literally done done podcasts where like the the guy, the the host has left. But that's and like, like for like ten or fifteen minutes. I'm just sitting there talking. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? He, and he, they're in the bathroom listening to it on their phone. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you said. Uh, so the final uh, question, question for today, perfect. We talk about stopping fights mm -hmm. and uh, you know knowing when the pressure. Uh, that uh, Bigfoot Silva uh, Mark Hunt fight, uh, both just gashes all over their mm -hmm. heads. Uh, but it goes to you know they were both fighting uh, competently. Mm -hmm. uh, like, does the sheer size of both those guys? factor into like uh should i stop this or like like the, every like, every fighter wears four and a half ounce gloves every fighter it's the same same ounce four and a half ounce five ounce gloves everyone wears the same gloves so the guy hitting at 115 has a four ounce glove in his hand on his little frame a guy at 275 or 265 has the exact same glo glove on his hand the exact same weight that's glove crazy. on his hand. you're like the reason why you wear gloves the reason why boxing started gloves with queensberry rules isn't to protect the fighter getting punched it's like the hand of the fighter punching. Right. So these, when you go to like a Mayweather fight, it's like ten, eight ounces, ten ounces. You know, these heavyweight fights are wearing ten ounces, eight ounces. You know, as their as their competitive glove when they're hitting each other, like Tyson Fury and Wilder when they rematch, whatever, it's going to be an eight ounce glove. It's what it is. Like these guys are going to hit each other hard as balls with eight ounce gloves. Does that factor into your to your set? You're like no. I mean, you also have to find spaces. If a guy gets hit and takes a, a wicked crack, a wicked crack where his the back, the top of his head touches his back like he gets his head snapped right. back that hard you're like whoa but did he fall down is he still coherent are his hands still up are his eyes still fresh are you still looking at him is he, what's going on with him okay he's still good let's keep going this fight keeps going he's not bothering with the blood in his eyes he's got gashes everywhere he's cut up but he's still fine in between rounds i'll let the doc come and take a look at it let's get to the break let's see what happens the break comes in the doc is already at the door he's going to come in and start looking at both fighters and oh and oh wait in california at least they wait let let the cut guy kind of work right. on it, see if he can stop the Steve can stop it and come in or whatever. But he'll also take a quick look because the, the docs, especially in California, know yeah that cut. Even if they stop the bleeding, it's too deep. It's already halfway to the bone. I can't let the fight go. This fight's over. This guy he's too bad. He'll go to the other corner. This guy's good. Go to the other corner. Look at that. Oh, that guy's too bad. I got to stop the fight. Right. He'll look at both sides and they'll make a decision. You know, and they'll and they'll tell you. They'll let you know. Hey, Ralph, we got to stop this fight. There's no blood. There's no blood. It, it it's it's a clean cut. It's a clean cut. Unfortunately, though. I see his skull. Fight's got to stop. Okay, fight's over. It's it. It's done. And does uh, this is kind of a, a piggyback on that question? Uh, like I remember, there was a fighter I used to love seeing, uh, Fabricio Maldonado, uh, Maldonado, middleweight. He actually stepped up one night to fight Miocic. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I only bring him up because this guy's ability to take punishment was he was like the tex cob of mma yeah. like it, he would take a beating like I, like a nogira versus sap kind of beating yeah every like, fight like, oh. i love me some bob sap is just complete, talk about shorting your career like that that's how you shorten your career but like has a ref uh like 
how do you factor in in terms of your decision making ability? All right, let's say we have uh, I'll go another old school fight. Let's say we have Fabricio Maldonado against uh, I don't know Gary Goodrich. Uh, okay. Uh, and Mal- you, you know you know this going in. Both guys can take a beating. You know you know that both guys can take a beating. So like, do you do they have a longer rope? Like yeah, they have a longer rope because you uh, know you've seen them fight before. You've known okay, I've seen this guy fight before. I know he can take a beating. You know, I, it's it's uh, 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 he's he's gonna get deep into this. I know he can take a an ass kicking. Let's just see what happens. You know, like Nogueira, he could take a beating. We know he's gonna get it beat up. He's always gonna probably lose the first round. He always ends up coming back, finding some kind of submission. He just take a, he can take a lot of beating, take a lot of hits, take a lot of kicks. He'll be fine. And we just know that about about the opponent. And like on the opposite end of that, uh, I love how I'm asking one question and it's just like piggyback. Of course. Like when you know a guy, and I don't like saying a guy is a weak chin because like Jesus, you're getting hit by. Like Overeem's been accused of uh, having a weak chin, yeah. Now, to me, it's like, well, look who he's fucking fighting. He's getting hit by two hundred fifty pound men. And Ganu, who probably at at fight night is probably two seventy or whatever. Uh, uh, His famous knockout he had against Bigfoot Silva. Yeah, God knows how he's got to be close to three hundred pounds at at fight time. Uh, Do you on the opposite and go, okay, well, Overeem has uh, a, a I mean, what like a, not a questionable chin? We don't we don't think about at least I don't we don't think about the chin. I don't think about the chin in that sense because if you get touched, he's gonna fall down. Uh, 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 Ortiz and Liddell, their last fight for Golden Boy. I was there. Right? So was I. I was I was I was roughing that night. And and Chuck looked good. He looked good coming out. He looked good moving around. And he got touched. He fell down. You don't go. Oh, Chuck has a weak chin now because of age. Because he's had a weak chin. Whatever. Blah blah. No, that fighter just fell down. Fight's over. Right. He just he just he fell out. He went to sleep. Okay, we gotta stop the fight. So it's not like on one half you don't go, oh, this guy's got a weak chin, this guy's got a strong chin. Right. You go, I know this guy can take a beating, I know this guy survives, I'm gonna give him a chance to survive, but there's also a finite point of how much I'm gonna let him survive. And every every ref is different. On the other end of it, you don't go the guy's got a weak chin, you just go, Okay, if he falls down, fight's over. This is I'm not gonna let him take I'm not gonna go, oh, he has a weak chin, I'm gonna let him take ten more punches. You go, he got touched, he's gonna fall down, so let the fight this fight's finished now. Well, it's similar to, uh, you know, we talked about guys, so much, but there's some great women fighters. Uh, you know, with Rousey, I, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, uh, and I'm asking more than telling, but but I'm going to ask like I am telling. Like, to me, she had never been touched before. Right. And then, uh, obviously, the uh, home kick to the face and then, you know, the destruction of Nunes in 48 seconds. Like, did she have a weak chin or was it, is it no, just the fact that she'd never been touched before? She just wasn't skilled at boxing. She just wasn't skilled. She just didn't know. No matter what, no matter what anybody said, oh, there was a rumor for a while that she could beat up any male 145 pounder, that she could box anybody at 100, you know, at 135 pounds, whatever, whatever her weight class was, like it'd be, you know, well, like that, that's ludicrous. Like it just doesn't, she doesn't have the skill. Like if you, if you actually understand the game, you don't understand that she doesn't have the skill. What had happened was is that she was the absolute top of cream of the crop best for four or five years. But during that four or five years, every other female fighter in that weight class was watching her, trying to figure out how to beat her, how to catch her. That's what they were doing. She's the top of the heat. She has to worry about 550 people in the weight class. Everybody else in the weight class had to worry about one person. Same thing happened with Anderson Silva. How was Chris Weidman able to beat him significantly both times? Because Chael Sonnen taught us how to beat him. Right. Out wrestle him, out beat him. Yeah, Chell lost to him, but he was beating the crap out of him for four and a half rounds. So close. Clearly winning. Had to get through another, whatever, minute and a half, two minutes, whatever. He would have won the entire fight easily. Even if he lost the second half of that round, didn't matter. All you do is get out of that triangle. He would have won the fight. He gave us the blueprint. Everybody learns how to beat Anderson Silva. 
The reason why Ronda got caught so quickly is because the women's division was at the time 10 years behind the men's division. Right. Right? Because we just had more time. They didn't have women's divisions. Just didn't have it. The women's division is developing. But they're able to look at the men's division to learn. It's like before Michael Jordan, there was never a fadeaway jumper. Right. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's doing the fadeaway jumper. Why? Because everyone's watching Jordan. Everybody learned from Jordan. So everybody else was figuring it out before they got to the pros. So when the pros, all of a sudden, there was this batch of college kids. Everybody had a fadeaway jumper. It was amazing to watch. Like, what the? Like, centers, fadeaway jumper. Like, how the hell is this possible? Michael Jordan's my favorite, my favorite player. Okay, well, that's how they learned. Everybody from Ronda in, in Ronda's class was watching the other, watching the men fight, learning how to learning how to to compete like the men, but only had men to train with as well. So they were, they were becoming smarter like men. So the women's division, being ten years behind, then when it came to the to the Rousey uh, uh, home fight, the women's division was five years behind. Coming up now, all of a sudden it's evenly matched. Right? It's the women's division is evenly matched. I'm not saying that women can beat men. I'm not saying that. That, that is just, unfortunately, biologically, it just doesn't happen. Men at the same weight size, same weight class are going to be stronger. Do some women win jiu-jitsu tournaments that are co-ed and they get in there, you're able to catch a guy that's much bigger than them? Yes, that's jiu-jitsu. But if I'm able to throw punches, it's, it's, not, it's not a fair assessment. It's not going to happen. But the women's division is just as good as the men's division. They're just as deep as the men's division to the point now where guys like, like uh, Coker is starting a whole new weight division wrapped around Chris Cyborg specifically because there's enough women that will fight at 145. Right. They have enough women now. They can make it. They can get 10, 12, 20, 30 people in the weight class deep. So you have matchups. Like they have this position now. The women's name is, is caught up. And that's why you saw Rhonda fall apart so quickly because she was the top. She didn't have time to learn from everybody else. She's got to worry about the next person coming at her, right? So she got a, 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 a false sense of security because she's able to armbar everybody, catch everybody. That She went out there and started striking with Holly Holm. Holly's like, I'm not having any of this. I'm a former female boxing champ. I, I, this is what I do for a living. You're not going to be able to strike me. You might be able to outgrapple me, but you're not going to be able to condition me. You're not going to be able to strike me. And Ronda made it a striking matchup. And as a result, she got hit. First thing she'd have done is she lowered her level and shot a double leg. Like, why was she even bothering standing there? But she stood there and she was so comfortable with her hands, she took, took an ass kicking. They were Nunes because Nunes had learned the blueprint from, from Holly Holmes. She's like, I'm going to blitzkrieg this girl. And she went out and blitzkrieged her. If they fought again, if they, if they went back and six months later redid that fight, it might have went to the second round. It might have went to the third round. Because she's going to know she's going to try to blitzkick her again. Ronda's going to get out of the way. And she would have worked on her hands and learned how to defend and tied her up and made a slow fight. Not saying that Amanda wouldn't have beat her up again in the fourth round come the second fight, but the fight would have been different, right? The fight absolutely would have been different. But all we know is Tyson and Buster Douglas, 1990. That's all we know. The fight that happened, that's all we know. And what happened in that fight was not happy, was great for one side and very bad for the other side. Well, we almost saw that in Strike Force with Brett Rogers against Fedor, but like, you know. Fedor got him. <laughs> got him good, yeah. I mean, that was when I started to go, I think Fedor's declining because I think Brett Rogers was literally three months before that fight working at a tire store. Yeah. Like, that's not good that he's having trouble with this guy. But, at all. But yeah. you know, what do I know? Frank Trigg. Like, I could literally... We could do two more hours of this, no problem. Oh, absolutely. We didn't even get into your career. Like, that's... Yeah, perfect. We have to, that's why I have to come back. But, oh, I, I listen, uh, like... That's how I do the podcast. Like I think any other podcaster, and I'm not comparing myself in the sense they would have just looked at your fights and okay, we'll ask about the two Hughes yeah. fights. We'll ask about you know Robbie Lawler fight, and then you're like, ah, oh, dude, I already answered these fucking questions. So, uh, I, uh, where can people yeah. find you? Social Frank media, Trigg. Frank Trigg on Instagram, Frank Trigg on Facebook uh, fan page. Uh, I'm full on my Facebook personal page, so you have to go to my fan page, which is Frank Trigg. It's all photos of me. Um, Instagram. I'm only on Instagram, Twitter, 
And uh, do you have a website or no? Uh, I do have a website, but I don't do anything with it. Frank, FrankTrick.com, but I don't do anything with it. Okay. And and if it, if you ask me a question, it takes you a minute to get back to you because I'm the only one to answer it. It's either me or my wife are the only two people that actually get to this, that actually answer it for this. So sometimes it takes a minute to get to you because I might get bombarded with a bunch of people. Well, that's what I was very impressed with. You know, when we met at KLOS that night, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I, I was there to see my friend Stephen Piercy, the, yeah. the singer from Rat. And then I was like, oh, this, Jesus, this guy looks familiar. Oh, shit, that's Frank Trigg. Uh, and I'm like, I'll give him my number, ask him to be on the pod. He'll never get back to me. And like the next day you got back to me. Like, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's I respect. Follow I follow up. I try to follow up with with uh, anybody, even if even if it's just, hey, got your number. Thanks for talking to you last night, right. home. And that's it's the only time we ever ever talk again. I always try to follow up because you deserve the respect. You gave me your number. You deserve respect of me responding to you. For me to give you a number and not ever talk to you, that's that's kind of a, that's an asshole move. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy anymore. Which is why I always get back to fans, and I can see the joy in their eyes. They're like, dude, you're, and I'm not a famous comic, but to them, I am. Yeah. And they'll be, like, yeah. I can't believe you got back to me. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I? Like. Sure, it might take me a day or two because you know. But yeah, we got like, shit going on. So I want you guys to become fans of Frank. Uh, and if you're, I know Frank doesn't get money from this necessarily, but if you are around the forum Saturday night, yeah. uh, you know there's some twenty fifth Saturday twenty fifth. Come by and say hi. Uh, is that that's uh, Saturday night, right? It's uh, next Saturday. Oh, this wait. weekend is the Cerrone. Uh, Cerrone. Uh, this weekend fight. is the Cerrone. Right, fight. and then the following weekend is the Bellator fight. The forum. So it's a big, uh, you know. And I'm sure there's eight more cards I don't know about that are happening. Uh, it's out <laughs> yeah. of control, man. Uh, and I don't like this ESPN. Uh, I just want to pay, order the pay per view on Directv. Uh, but we'll get we'll get into that on the next, yeah, next spot. one. Yeah, because I'm a fan. I don't like the new setup with Dazen and and uh, ESPN Plus. I, it's just, and then it, Flow Wrestling, and then Fight TV, and then by the time you get done, you're you're paying two hundred dollars just for apps. To watch fights well yeah it's like if you don't have a smart tv which i do but i'm horrible with technology but you're not smart no i'm not <laughs> i have to watch i'll watch the mcgregor fight on my uh, computer screen which is big but i want to watch it on that screen it's bigger yeah. but i don't think dana white uh really cares what one guy in west hollywood cares uh or thinks about the billion dollar four billion dollar company because uh, guess what's going to happen on saturday we're all going to pay $65 to watch it. Oh, I will. <laughs> I think there's a heavyweight Doesn't fight. Matter. We're all going to watch it. <laughs> I mean, that uh, La Jolla uh, promotion that where you were refing at, I was there, the, the Liddell yeah. fight. There was a heavyweight fight, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember who it was, but I, I do remember it was a heavy set Hispanic dude. This guy took some shots. I, I, was, I, I don't remember his name because it was too unknown. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't remember half the fights that I ref. I can't even. Well, I like those uh, freak show fights, which I like Bellator more than the UFC because they'll take a risk and they'll have a Bob Sapp fighting, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, well, look, they had, they had uh, Sonnen fighting. Uh, 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 that heavyweight tournament. Yeah, he fought, uh, Fedor. he fought Fedor. He fought Fedor. Uh, and then uh, didn't he beat Mir on a, to get through or something? Well, let me see. Fedor beat Mir, and then uh, he lost to uh, Matt oh, Mitrione. Matt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a comedy store favorite. Uh, that's what hit me when like, he came to the comedy store one night, and he was rising in the UFC. And I thought he's got to have a Porsche or something. And I'm not nope. putting him on uh, blast. No, he's, got, here. he's got a he's got an ex wife and kids. He's got like a beat. He, at the time, he had like this. Here's this huge hulking dude driving like a beat up. I don't know Ford 
like some Ford Focus. <laughs> That's what it was. I'm like, oh my god, they must not get paid that much. No, he's got you know, ex wives are a motherfucker. They take uh, all your money. We'll leave it on that note. Ex wives are a motherfucker. Uh, so uh, thank you to Frank Trey. Thanks, uh, man. Thanks for having me on. The the really the pleasure was all mine. He'll be definitely be back if he will come back. Hundred percent. Uh, inappropriate Earl, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You better leave a review. Follow Frank. He's, it's so simple with Frank. Frank Trake everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook fan page. Follow him and uh, support him uh, when he's refing a fight. It's a pleasure to uh, watch uh, a good ref work a fight. So uh, it really, but that's, I'm a fan. So I like Herb Dean. You know, Dan Mergliata. Like, I love watching a good ref take control. Like, Mergliata doesn't take any bullshit. Like, None at all. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> and he's a fucking giant man, which I'm sure uh, helps the fighters stay in line. So uh, thank you guys for the support. We'll be back next week with a, maybe we'll try and get the headhunter, Paul Bonatello. <laughs> <laughs>